0: Hi guys, COVID distancing has kept the majority of our cast and crew at arm's length, so we're going to have to put our annual Christmas actual play on hold for another year. We're very sorry that
1: you're all going to have to wait another year to find out how Gumdrop will claim his revenge on Santa Claus, and what holiday
0: icons that we're going to corrupt and pervert for our own twisted D&D purposes. If you're interested in checking out something a little more Christmas themed, you can always go listen to Last Year's Insanity, where Mafia Frosty, a talking turkey, and way too many incarnations of Santa Claus all terrorized us. Seriously, what the hell is this podcast? I don't know, man. It's your idea.
2: It's a mimic, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get.
0: Hi, and welcome to a surprise Christmas mailbag episode, where I, Dan, and my amazing and super awesome co-host, who's the handsomest, smartest, and cleverest person I've ever met, and also known as the insightful, attractive, and hilarious... Why do I read your scripts?
1: Because you don't write them. I do all of the prep. If you're not (laughs) going to read them ahead of time and you're not going to do the prep, then I'm going to get my balls gargled. Christmas balls. Christmas. Bubbles? Bubbles. Ball- Bubbles?
0: My Christmas Bubbles. All right. Anyways, um, this motherfucker across the table here. Hello. Known as Adam, will also be addressing one of the top three questions we receive here at It's a Mimic. No, I'm not going to talk about my furniture building side job where I construct leather clad and easily sterilized structures and harnesses for creative and passionate lovers. And no, we won't be giving any of you ladies and some curious gentlemen Adam's personal phone number. So in this episode, we're going to embrace all the little things that an intrepid adventurer might find under the Christmas tree. We're going to break down the adventuring gear and mundane items in the player's handbook and how each item can impact your campaign. Man, I hate the gear page. Oh yeah, me too. It is poorly laid out because
1: it's an alphabetical fucking order for some reason, mostly. And all of the stuff that you need to know about starting costs and carrying capacities are found in other parts of the book. This is not, by far, everything that you will ever need. And there's a lot of useless shit on here that you will never need. And how you use some things are not really laid out with any sort of of intelligence. Coming from 3.5, I know what this list means. Yes. A brand new player is going to look at this and go, why the shit do I need a bell? <laughs> what can I do with an iron pot? Exactly. Right yeah. now, we've been playing D&D for a long enough time that we've got some insights on why this shit is important and in what ways and that it's not important for every character, every build, every player, every table, every campaign, right? Like it some of it's very very different for different people. Um and there are strengths and
0: weaknesses to a lot of this shit, so we'll we'll go over it. My big problem with a lot of the adventuring gear side of things is it becomes an oversight after level 3. Yeah, you just don't care anymore. You don't care anymore, right? Mostly well for a couple of reasons. One, your magic items or your spells or your uh, skills or your abilities that you've gotten from your class have all overshadowed the mundane-based level of use and utility that a lot of these items can provide, I've right? F- Which, I mean, you and I actively encourage creative thinking with this, and that's a lot of what we'll be going over today. Look, I played a fucking
1: Halfling Ranger for a handful of sessions in one of your campaigns, Yeah, where with the exception of my opening... What did I do? I had Hunter's Mark and Zephyr's Strike and, your, um, yeah, and I, know, I was a you're, Gloomstalker, right? Your
0: initial blow the guy up in a single turn
1: move, yeah. But then after that, I'm just a guy that's standing in the shadows, right? Sh- yeah. Shooting an arrow. But I had incredible success in that campaign because I was using mundane items and talking my way through shit. Yeah. I honestly believe that I could play in a 20th level campaign as long as my commoner had a suit of armor. And I could go toe to toe with
0: other people. Just give me the give me the adventuring gear page, and I can I can hold my own. So the way they have this bounded accuracy with everything, where you know, no matter what level you get to, a AC of twenty is significant. Yes, right. I remember in three point five, if you had less than a twenty five AC at level five, you were doing it wrong. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I mean, if you're a paladin, but
1: yeah, yeah, no. So right. So but this. I mean, honestly, the only time that anybody uses adventuring gear is when they're getting granular with their overland travel or their um, rests or their downtime. And that's when this stuff comes into play. But also, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today, the exploration pillar, which is the underutilized pillar of D&D, right? So, So
0: what our goal here is to kind of build into this idea that if you want to enhance your exploration pillar use these items and as an adventure sitting around the yule log and yule tree in your campaign getting a gift of a 10 foot pole
1: it's your not just going to be a,
0: it's not just going to be a womp womp here's a blanket no there are going to be uses for every character we want to show that to you here
1: yeah so um the other thing to keep in mind too is that if you are a player and you're listening to this episode really know what you're dealing with when you're when you're um, sitting at the table with your DM, because just because you've got a creative way to use it, or you've heard us say something, doesn't mean your DM is going to let that fly at the table, right? Really work with your dungeon master, because I know a lot of people that that always feel like they have to say yes to every stupid idea, at which point this adventuring gear list becomes a second class feature. Yeah. Or they always say no to every idea because no, we're here to do combat and that's it and this is the grid that we're playing on and that's the end. So work with communicate, especially at the end of the episode, I've got a couple of rants. Yeah, for um, sure. And uh, what do you mean for sure? Fuck you, Dan. But <laughs> but um, there are a couple of things where you really do need to talk to your DM because it is not straightforward. There are going to be some weird like usages in some specific cases that are very very strange and uh and as we go through some of the things that you may think are relatively normal mundane items utilizing them in D &D ways is going to break a little bit of the uh the fourth wall or or the suspension of disbelief
0: and as a dm side of things i completely agree with you on the player side of things um and also we've done nearly 100 episodes of this thing you rant it's what you do me? I have never once ranted in my life, Daniel. I'm not going to waste the good beer on a spit take for that hilarious anecdote you just dropped.
1: You say you say rant, I say
0: accurately correct. Yeah, with loud volume and high intensity. Well, if you weren't deaf and dumb. Rude. <laughs> Anyways, as a DM, I would encourage a lot of DMs will often look at these mundane items and go, they're mundane, they're not going to have an effect against a magical situation friends be more open to saying yes right i know adam you just said a lot of dms go too far in the yes and i often have been guilty of that um you let me murder party members with mundane items well they were idiots they were new players dan and being idiots true they were yeah um but at the same time The other way of going no and making this entire large section of the game basically mean nothing because you're not willing to engage with it is doing a disservice to your table. Being engaged, being open to the creativity of your players at the table is going to be no more apparent than it is when you're dealing with Monday nights.
1: Look, it is easy to identify on the spell lists which spells never get taken. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them that do get taken are obviously the damage dealing ones. Especially the ones that are specifically like Fireball, which is super powerful for the level that you get it at. Yeah. And then there are the ones that are your mind control and your level of uh, enchantment, which is great for social scenarios. But most people don't fucking bother with things like, um, what is it, Dark Vision as a spell. Yeah, right. Because we don't <laughs> play in the freaking like exploration pillar. If you start messing around with mundane gear and you have real logic problems based on items and objects in the game, then these other weird little exploratory things are going to, these spells and these this magic, it's going to have a much bigger, more efficient and effective and more fun uh, time at the table dealing with this stuff outside of combat, right? Yeah. And keeping in mind that this gives you more things in your arsenal as a DM to be able to give them for random encounters beside that pool of hit points with the
0: the slavering teeth is coming to get you. Yeah. So Adam, what we're going to be doing is we're looking at these items. So let's start off with the very first thing in D&D that is going to be the focus of these mundane items. And that is... Look, camping is one of
1: those things that everyone fucking takes for
0: granted in D&D. But I have watched people prepare
1: for camping and it is a shit show. Mieka, I love you. But you have never been outdoors in your fucking life. And it is <laughs>
0: apparent every time that you smell fresh air. Uh, like, I, I, like, I, I vividly remember discussing going camping with my wife. And she's like, yeah, but we don't have a hitch on the thing to pull our tent trailer. And I'm like, I don't think you understand what I mean when I say camping. I'm Canadian. Camping to me is a tent and at least a four-hour walk away from our car.
1: Yeah. Uh, knife and rope is a necessity. And that's yeah. a, that's what I need. So- and bear
0: spray, or as I call it, Dave. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, so the
1: the thing about camping in Dungeons & Dragons is just simply that it is... Everybody does it all of the time. Half a year long rests take place out in the wilderness. Yep. And yet, it is just fucking hand-waved. Me, when I'm a DM, I'd say, all right, here's your map. I will pull out a map of a campsite. Even when there's not going to be a random encounter overnight. There's no enemies in the area. There's no wild animals. Set up your campsite. Who is where? Who's taking first watch and second watch? Where are you going to be while you do this thing, right? And, and I want to know what you're doing. Are you telling stories around the campfire? Bond. This is a social interaction um, opportunity, but it's also an opportunity to do some exploration yeah. with kind of a base camp. And people just move right past that. Okay, well, we rolled our on a random table. Nothing happened overnight. Day two of
0: walking. Yeah. And that's it, right? barely a mention.
1: Yeah. And so everybody moves past it. And that's why random encounters stand out so much is because it breaks the mundane, like, we're just... It's fucking boring the way that most people run it. But you need this camping equipment in order to to even think about going out into the wilderness. And so people will spend money on it just to have it take up room on your character sheet. Yep. So anyway, look... I did a bunch of prep, obviously, um, ahead of time. Yep. And so we split this up into different groups. Let's go alphabetically in, in each group, and let's start off with the camping stuff. So Sure.
0: Let's roll to see who goes first. Sure. I got a nine. I got a 16. All right, Adam, hit me. So
1: the very first thing is the bedroll. Okay, this one is pretty straightforward, but I did some... Is it? Yeah, I did some looking into it, and people... Don't understand what a bedroll is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not just a a foamy that you lay down on the ground that you lay on top of. It's not like one of those little blue foamies? No. It's seven pounds. It Yeah, and it's a full gold piece. And for a commoner, that's something. Oh, so here's the other thing that we should bring up early. There are five different levels of currency. For those of you that don't understand how the economy works, there is a copper piece is worth a penny. Mm-hmm. A silver piece is worth a dime. An electrum piece is worth 50 cents. Yeah. It's, it's like it's a half, half dollar. dollar. Yeah. A yeah. uh, gold piece is a dollar and a uh, platinum piece is $10. Yeah. Now, that is for our basic understanding of it, but understand that everybody is dirt fucking poor. Yeah. Right. So slinging a cop,
0: uh, slinging a gold piece around is. It's significant. Is significant, right? Like w- the economy is like our great-great-grandparents who talk about how you could go and buy a burger for five cents. That's kind of what we're looking at here.
1: Yeah, this is not by our regular standards of, of what yeah. you can expect. So the idea that a bedroll is worth a full dollar is saying something. That's like a full day's wage. More than for some people, yeah. right? So um this acts as a mattress, but there's probably also a basic uh, blanket like a sleeping bag level that's sewn into it as well yeah there's like a pillow factor to it on top of that and it's it's not going to be waterproof but it is going to keep you separated from the ground Mm -hmm. it's going to protect you a little bit against um the chill and the wind yeah i'll tell you this right now if you don't have a bedroll in my game and you go for a rest you cannot get anything longer than a short rest and by Fifth Ed rules you get two short rests per long rest Oh, a yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Hard stop. So if you don't get a long rest, you don't... You um, will use up your short rests. The way I rule it around my table is if you are anything other than a ranger or a druid or some nature-based... Barbarian. Barba- something, right? You're going to get a level of exhaustion if you're not properly equipped to last a night. Uh, see, I, I, just, I just don't give them a short rest, right? Like, they may get some
1: sleep, but it's just not restful. So... There is no hard and fast rule in 5th edition for this shit. It was really easily laid out in previous editions. It isn't now. So as you can hear, DMs are going to penalize you for not having this shit. You have to spend the gold on it. Yeah. This is why randomly losing something or having something be stolen... Because some monsters do that. Where they just randomly steal shit from you. That's a problem, right? Because if you lose your bedroll... You lose in my game the ability to have a long rest. Some people will give you levels of exhaustion. Hi. Yeah, right. Like it's it's a fucking issue. What's I, next?
0: I also well, I also I'm not quite done with bedroll because I know that it's a seven-pound item. So in my mind, this thing is made of super thick, like canvas-like material.
1: Yeah, I would say that it's
0: stuffed with with like wool, like yeah. straight off the sheep. Right. So this thing is hardy as hell. It is your main adventuring tool in a lot of ways. So this thing's hardy as hell. So you could use this thing a little bit of like a net. You could use it as a container as well if, you, if you're if you really, really down to the wire on it. Just for some other outside-the-box unique uses of a bedroll. Because it is going to be able to contain a lot more. It To me, it's a very hardy sleeping bag. Yeah, I'm not
1: sure that I would use it as a net for, like, catching fish
0: or anything. No. But I'm I would like... definitely put a goblin in
1: it and, and then beat the bedroll against a tree a couple times.
0: Or you have to lower someone down a well and there's no bucket. So tie the bedroll up with a rope and put your halfling yeah. in there and lower that down. Yeah. That works. And then beat the halfling against the, the tree with the bedroll. Yeah. The point is,
1: just, just fuck all the small creatures out there in the world. Anyway,
0: next up, Dan. Uh, blanket. Blanket's pretty straightforward. Blanket's... Everybody, everybody, surprise, surprise. It's a blanket. I'm just going to say that I, I, I'm i going to
1: assume that everyone knows what a blanket is. The fact that when you are traversing Icewind Dale, you're going to yeah. fucking need one to get a rest. It's the same thing with a bedroll, but for more extreme cold.
0: Um, the important thing to note with a blanket is it's three pounds. So this isn't like a light like no, this, sheet. This, this is, is a big woolen... This is a hardy... Like, I think of like a... Um, Uh, A hardy woolen knitted blanket like you'd get in like Tijuana or something right like you could go buy for surviving out in the desert as well at the night like it's something that's not going to um, this is gear it's not it's not something that you just a
1: fanciful little oh I it's a throw blanket that goes over my knees while I watch freaking Grey's Anatomy no that's not what this shit is also why are you wasting your time with Grey's Anatomy I'm just mad at you now (laughs) have better taste (laughs) Alright, so... Do you got any th- unique uses for a blanket? No, I just... Everybody knows what a blanket is. I think that I can just make that blanket statement. Next up on the list... Uh, Boo! We're going to uh, actually talk about a, a couple of kits that were listed with the other kits. Baby foxes? No, that are listed with the other kits, but frankly, they, are, they should be a part of everybody's Camp adventuring... Inside camping gear. Yes, I agree. And the first one is a, a healer's kit. It's five gold pieces, so it is expensive at low levels. But it is only three pounds and it's expensive because this replaces Spare the Dying so you don't need a fucking cleric <laughs> or a necromancer in your party. Okay? A healer's kit is a leather pouch that has bandages, salves, and splints. It has ten uses, so you do have to track it, but it only takes an action and you can stabilize stabilize someone with zero hit points and you don't even need a medicine check it just works no spell slot no check no save bam stabilized why are more tables not using healers kits
0: every character should carry one yeah and you don't even need proficiency because of course there's no check to it right exactly so I think a lot of people look at healer's kits going, well, this thing is clearly going to be something the cleric carries around with this first aid kit. But no. What, the cleric's the one
1: that's not going to carry it because he's got spare the dying or whatever. Yeah. It's gonna, you're going to cure wounds and then you're back up on your feet. Yeah. Right? So it, it should be everybody else has one of these things.
0: And frankly, you guys should be using them all the fucking time. Yeah. Now, keep in mind as well that a healer's kit is never going to be able to regenerate your hit points. Nope, it's just about stabilizing. It's just about stabilizing, right? So this is bandaging wounds so you stop bleeding out. This is not curing your problem. Truth. Next on this list is going to be your mess kit. It's a little tin box that contains a cup, some simple cutlery, um, and it clamps together. Uh, One side can be used as a cooking pan, the other as a plate or a shallow bowl. Yeah. So, basically, this is your utensils. This is your cutlery. This is the... This is what you eat with. Yeah. If you don't have this, you are skewering rabbits on a stick or using your dagger to pull off chunks. Incidentally, there's a difference between a dagger
1: and a knife. Yes. A dagger is meant for combat, and a knife is meant for utility purposes. Yep. Now, people will split hairs with that, and or they will just say, oh, it's all fine,
0: whatever. But remember, for me... If A dagger is closer to, like, a chef's knife than it is a pocket knife, friends. Yeah, a, a dagger's a weapon, right? Yeah. Um, and it does slashing damage.
1: A knife that I'm going to find in a mess kit is going to be something that uh, is going to do one point of slashing damage. Hard stop.
0: I, I would almost say piercing. and Do one point of piercing damage. You don't pierce with a knife. How do you use a steak knife? fist down stabbing into the meat like a barbarian shit. right damn no, it no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> it is for slashing I would say one point of slashing
1: damage because this thing is a relatively dull you're not taking a whetstone to it no right you're, it's a butter knife it's a uh, it's, it's a steak knife right yeah. like you can cut ropes with it it'll take a while yeah, it'll take three times longer than it would with a dagger
0: right um, but probably a whole lot faster than doing it with a club Yeah. Um, The benefit of this is it is only one pound, so you do not have a... And it's only two silver. So, like, you don't really have an excuse not to have this. And for your role-playing purposes, sitting around a fire, everybody, like, pulling out their MRIs, basically. MREs. It's a little different. Yeah. Pulling out their MRIs. Adam, look at this. On the form, I have a growth. No. uh, Oh, I know. (laughs) It keeps looking at me. They... they. Pull up the MREs and eat. Fuck you right. We're gonna
1: have to get to the reactor you <laughs> Your fucking growth. <laughs> you're right. It's with it's with your trail rations, and we will talk a little bit about trail rations later. Yeah. But you if you're going to do anything as far as cooking or eating or when you need a mess kit. Otherwise, yeah, you're picking berries. Yep. Yeah. Right? Or you are eating burned flesh off of a skewer. T- exactly. So yeah. Next up is the iron pot. I mean, I don't have too much more to say about that. It's an iron pot. It holds a gallon.
0: Vine hat. But remember, it holds a gallon. A gallon is not a lot. It's enough to hold as use as a hat. I don't know why you'd (laughs) want to, you fucking orc. Johnny Appleseed. Anyways, the iron pot is one of those useful things, but note that the mess kit does not have the equivalent of a pot. It has a quote-unquote shallow bowl. So, friends, if you are needing to boil water, if you're needing to boil anything, if you're needing to collect a liquid in any way, shape, or form, if you are making potions or making um, some sort of salve in-game, you're going to need an iron pot if you're doing this work at a fireplace. I'm also going to say this as well. A club
1: weighs two pounds. A great club weighs ten pounds. An iron pot weighs ten pounds.
0: This thing's hefty.
1: Uh, Yeah, I would almost say that as an improvised weapon, remember improvised weapons do 1d10 bludgeoning or do 1d10 and then depending on whatever, or sorry, 1d4, 1d4. I said 1d10 because I'm looking at the page, Yeah, but yeah, so remember improvised weapons do 1d4 damage, whatever the damage type is. I would absolutely let someone wield an iron pot as an improvised weapon
0: if they needed to. Oh, shit, yeah. Like, the monk just walking up and bonking a dude with a... <laughs> yes, please. Like, in my mind, the iron pot is half skillet, half pot. It's just a wide brim skillet. It's- and it's cast iron, man. Like, that thing's got oh, some uh, half. Yeah, it says iron pot, but it's cast iron. Like,
1: yeah. That's why it's 10 pounds.
0: So, next is uh, your privacy... In the outdoors for you and one special other person. Your fuck pad. Yeah, it's your two-person tent. Um, Your standard tent. I mean, it's two gold. This thing is fairly cheap. So this is mostly going to be just a large piece of canvas with a couple pulls and maybe some supporting rubs and pins to keep up. This isn't going to be, you know, the it's, Shea Lounge of camping supplies. is
1: not for glamping. Yeah. And let me tell you something. I own a two-man tent. It is not a two man tent. That is a one and a half person tent.
0: In this case, I think this is a two man tent specifically because it's twenty pounds.
1: Yeah, I like it's big. Can you keep your gear in it? Uh like leave your gear in it and go out and do adventuring. To no, come no, back, I mean or... when when two people are sleeping in there, do their backpacks all the shit fit as well? I would say yes. Do you, and their suit of armor? Yes. Uh, I don't think it's that.
0: I I I, th- I think it's that. Big. I mean, if both You're... of them are heavy full plate or sorry, just plate wearing um paladins maybe not look you but. say it's
1: twenty pounds but that's because how that's because of how heavy the actual materials are. Yeah right? we're this not is going to be with a nylon thick, pants. this is
0: a thick grade canvas right this is you're you're basically you have a 10 foot tent made of Carhartt pants. It's thick. It's heavy denim. It's weird that that's where you went with canvas.
1: But I mean you're right. But yeah. yeah. But I mean it's so it is gonna get heavy it is going to get heavy quickly.
0: I'm not even sure that there's a floor on some of these things. I, I would agree. It is it is just a very large... I'd almost say tarp. Yeah. Like tarp is a better... In our common vernacular, what we have for camping supplies, this is just a large tarp.
1: Sure. The next thing on the list is the first thing that I'm thoroughly interested in for adventuring. Iron spikes. Now, the reason that they're a part of the camping section... Is because you've got to spike down your tent in strong winds. You've got to use spikes um, for all sorts of camping purposes. For uh, stringing rope up off the yep. ground and whatnot. I myself always carry spikes out into uh, whatever site that I'm camping at. Yep. Um, because I, I'm always using them. I mean, it's also fairly windy here. So you got to knock stuff down anyways. But the point is with iron spikes is there's an additional bonus to them. And that is... These things are are better than a lock on a door. Because if I'm in a dungeon or I am in a, a fortress of any kind, a haunted house, and we want to lock the door while we take a short rest, all I've got to do is hammer one of these fuckers in right halfway into the ground behind a closed door or into the door jam, and no one can open that door. That is a huge strength check to get through that. Yeah. I have essentially barricaded the door. By hammering an iron spike into it. These are half pound iron spikes. Yeah. And this is incredibly useful for that kind of shit. Um, And again, if you want to dangle something out of a tree. Or or, um, you want to keep the goblin from moving anywhere. And you have manacles, which we'll talk about in a minute. I'm going to drive an iron spike into a tree four feet up. And then drape the manacles off of the spike, so, like you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Right. Iron spikes are actually ridiculously useful and also if you're in an evil campaign torture devices.
0: So moving on to soap which friends just as you have the common courtesy to come before your D&D sessions into that enclosed room with poor air ventilation your wandering adventurer wearing several layers below their full plate male armor is going to need to clean up. Bring soap with you. Brad. Dave. Terry after a day at the gym. Megan after a day of slaughtering everybody. She is often covered in entrails. Never her own, though. Oh, fuck, I would hope not. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But um, soap is incredibly important, but also keep in mind, uh, the soap that they're talking about here, yes, the weight's negligible because it's a bar of soap, but a lot of the soaps of yesteryear have such a high chalk content as well. They can double as notification devices. They could, like, you could write on a wall in soap.
1: Yeah, and when you are underground in an ancient dwarven temple that's been long since abandoned and shit, and you need to draw an arrow on the ground to know which way to go, and you don't have access to chalk, you don't want to spend ink or anything else, soap is a great way to do this. Mm -hmm. And no one's going to come by and eat that like it's breadcrumbs, right? Yeah. Here's the other thing about soap, though. Rangers and uh, barbarians and whatnot—the people that you think might be dirty—are going to know when to be upwind and downwind. This is probably not scented soap. This doesn't have hints of lavender in it. No, right? This does, this doesn't even smell like your your Dove soap or your bar of Irish Spring or anything. It's just cleaning. It it, it smells like lye, yeah. and rendered fat. It's going to get the stench of them off their bodies so that they can hunt more effectively. So I, as a dungeon master, will say, "Oh, you're hunting this beast. Are you upwind or downwind? Oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be upwind from it. Okay, are you carrying soap? Oh, you don't have it on your character sheet. Well, then, when you get within ten feet of this creature, it can smell you. Yeah, even if you are upwind.
0: So we're gonna move on now from the camping to uh, generic clothes and clothing items, and um, we're gonna start off. So, before we go into the clothes and their uses, Adam, let's grab the dice. Let's roll. See who gets to cover first. Cover first. I get it because clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I got a one. I got an 18. Yeah. So, first are going to be your common clothes. Uh, this is going to be your woolen slacks, woolen tunic. It's very base level stuff. It costs five silver though. So, it's well made and will endure lar- like large amounts of uh, travel around it. This is what I assume farmers wear. Yeah. So it's going to be farmer-grade clothing. Yeah. So um, for your paladin, for your heavy plate mail-wearing characters, this is going to be the stuff that they have underneath all of their armor. Um, and this is the stuff that it, they're probably going to wear on, you know, that one night in the road tavern. Like, this is their comfy clothes. These are your PJ pants. You think so? I I, I think, yeah. Like, these are the things you want to wear when you're not wearing your armor.
1: Yeah, this is going to include things like your undergarments as well. Like, this is by no means going to offer any real protection. Yeah. Whatsoever. It's a modesty
0: thing more than anything else. Also note, it is one set of clothes. So, if you are traveling for many days on end, you'll probably have more than one of these things. Additionally, I would like to point out that everybody should have a handful of these because...
1: How many times do you hear your players say, "I'm going to sneak around the corner and get out of sight, and then you know I'm going to wait a couple minutes to go by, and then I'm going to come out and try to blend in with the crowd"? You're wearing mail armor, dude. You
0: can't just blend in with a crowd of merchants and farmers. It's,
1: it's not even just that. It's when you watch spy movies and stuff, they duck into a clothing store, swap their jacket and their hat, and then and you know pop the collar and head out. Right? That's the kind of shit that you should be thinking about. Quick changes of clothes. If you only have one set of clothing, you are doing yourself a major disservice here. Especially for disguising and stuff as well. Exactly. The next one is costume clothing. This is for bards. This is for minstrels. This is for actors. actors and this is for whatever you need to do. Any sort of uh, intrigue and espionage as well. If you need to pretend to be a noble, this is going to be your costume clothing. Yeah. It's not going to hold up to scrutiny. Uh, but-
0: I don't know. Fine clothing, which is going to be up here in a second. Is gonna be the one where you pretend you are a noble. I think that for
1: fifteen gold pieces, fine clothing is when you have some nobility status.
0: I guess that's fair. When
1: you are spending fifteen gold pieces on clothes, then you're you're probably
0: your your costume clothes are gonna be the things that is like it's not for Sachi, it's for Fachi. Or something. Yeah, these are right. your
1: knockoff brands. That's what I mean, it's not going to hold up to any sort of scrutiny. Yeah. Um, these are going to be the things that make you blend in with the crowd. Um, I would also say the costume clothes would cover things like uh, really fake, shitty furs to blend in with an orc tribe. Yeah. If you're a half orc, right? So costume clothes and blending in is useful. Hey, guys, every time you kill a guard, take their fucking clothes. At the very least, you can sell it later. Yep. Right, but if they're not wearing mail and armor and stuff, take their clothes, clothing. It's not nothing. Right, it was a big thing in in medieval age. Like the fuck, I'm losing my words because <laughs> I'm, I'm pissed off about this. People just just bowl right over it because they're. I mean, you used to have to go to the onto the battlefield with all the dead soldiers and take their shoes. Yep. And you didn't just take shoes like, oh, hey, those pants look like they would fit. You see the Hound do it a couple times in Game of Thrones. Yeah, he like
0: puts his foot up against some dudes. Oh yeah, those
1: would roughly fit. Exactly. And that's the kind of shit that you would expect to see in a DD and d world
0: that players never think about. Yeah. Clothing is a factor. I do have one question though. Yep. Um, if I say run a full bard group of minstrels who want to do like psychedelic heavy... out I'm Gwar. Do- does Gwar have their costumes like this? With the, like, big headdresses and stuff? Or would you do additional costs for that?
1: Um, they're going to have traveler's clothes because they're they're a traveling band.
0: Okay. And their and they're traveling clothes is going to be basically styrofoam shoulder pads and shit like that? Yeah, because
1: styrofoam is a thing that totally exists in D&D, Dan. Stop wasting my fucking time.
0: All right, well, we're going to cover fine clothes now. And like you said, Adam, this it's is for nobility. This is your noble, this is your, uh, f- um up-to-date common fashion item for the time note it does not include jewelry and should be supplemented with jewelry to really sell the th- uh, the point across if you walk into a noble's camp with just fine clothes but no sparklies you're gonna get called out
1: you better have a reason for i just got robbed
0: right the other thing is if you have been out adventuring for six months and you put on that piece of fine clothing to go to a ball for a yeah, you know, random social it, it event. might be out You of are style. now wearing last season's clothing, my friend, and you will be called out. These are things that you will need to be paying attention to if you really. Like dive this is into what it. I mean. Like by looking at
1: these these items and in this gear, you can start to get really granular with things and add a level of realism to your campaign. Yeah, the fact that they have four different kinds of clothing. Just listed as clothes alone means that the game designers expect you to be messing around with this nonsense in the first place. Yeah. The next one, of course, is travelers' clothes. This is going to be your cloak, your your hardier
0: leathers. These this are is gonna your be, road your road wares.
1: Yeah, um, and it's pretty straightforward. You're going to see merchants wearing traveling clothes. You're going to see um, sailors with yeah. traveling clothes. Things that are your. We're talking leather.
0: We're talking heavier. We're canvas. talking utility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lots of pockets and pouches
0: and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, traveler's clothes more than any of these other ones, I feel, will change based on the environment you buy them. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So if you are going into a desert, your traveler's clothes aren't going to be heavy leathers with woolen parkas and woolen And caps. again, that's something that I want to do as a DM
1: because most campaigns have people, I mean, not the published modules, but most campaigns have people traveling in different locations. Like, you know that we have to head up north or we're getting onto a ship or it's time to go through the jungle, right? You have to go get these clothes
0: that are going to help you with these things. So. Yeah. Finally, we're going to have robes. Um, these are going to be your standard... Uh, it's like wizard robes. Wizard robes or clerical robes or scholarly robes or... Cultist robes, like, that's that's going to cover this gamut? Honestly, robes are one gold piece, where traveler's clothes are two gold
1: pieces. So you can imagine the traveler's clothes have more pockets, more utility, whereas robes are robes are robes. There may be a single pocket on the inside of, you know, the the breast pocket that's hidden, right? Yeah. But that's going to be it. I mean, cultists probably have somewhere they're hiding a dagger up a sleeve. But yeah. But for the most part, there's not a belt involved where they're going to be dangling things off of. This is not... um, It's weird that we don't have scabbards anywhere in this. They're just kind of assumed
0: with the weapons, I think.
1: I I guess, but you would expect... But, I mean, there's magical scabbards. And there's magical belts, but it's just never brought up. Yeah. I would say, you know, at one gold piece, I would cut that in half to have a traveling cloak. If you just need a... It's
0: just cloak. a good cloak, like you're walking around like it's, uh, it's a
1: big heavy material, like like Aragorn, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that's that brings us into the next thing I want to roll. This one is, I think, my favorite section. Okay. I got
0: 14. I got a 12. All right, you're up first. So this section is of course hunting equipment and uh general adventuring. General adventuring gear. This is where you're going to have the most fun and utility with as a creative player around a table. Yeah. And a creative DM. And
1: keep in mind as well that this stuff is going to just be passed over by most people. Yeah. And we've got some unique and fun ideas. Here. So
0: uh, off the top of the list, we have a bag of one thousand ball bearings.
1: These are not like giant slugs. It's these are two pounds, friends. Uh, yeah, two pounds for a thousand ball bearings. These
0: are tiny. These, tiny. These, these, these are like like smaller than fishing weights. Yeah. Um. Specifically. Um, with them, I mean, they cost a gold, so they're cheap as well. Um, but as an action, you, what you do with these is you kind of spill out these itty bitty tiny metal balls from their pouch to cover a level and square area that is 10 feet on a side. Keep in mind level. These are little itty bitty balls. If you throw this on a hill, they're going down the hill. Yep. Right. Uh, any creature moving across the area has to pass a DC 10 deck save or, You know, eat shit on the ground. Yeah, they fall prone. They fall prone. Um, A creature moving through the area at half speed doesn't need to make the save because they're walking carefully. Um, Friends, this is where Home Alone and Dungeons & Dragons meet in a wonderful union.
1: This is pretty straightforward. My favorite use of these things, of course, are on stairs. Yep. Because you don't just fall prone. You lose, you know, your advancement. But I gotta say, there's more uses for these things
0: than just... Just making people slip and fall down. My whole thing is people often overestimate the size of the ball bearings. They and want to use them fun. as like slingshot. Right. Level of- no, man. They're itty bitty tiny balls. Now this is going to have two effects. One you're not going to be able to use them as ranged weapons. They're not going to do enough damage. You might be able to pull one balling, out, uh, one balling, one ball bearing out to like tank off a window or something. Yeah, you or know, like to use to make a small noise. I'm not even
1: tracking them right. But I'm
0: not even tracking them. It's an the, all
1: or nothing kind. The second
0: thing, with a thousand in a little two pound bag, these things are easily missed on the ground. If you are, if you throw these down in the middle of like a cobble uh cobblestone road. It's going to take a hell of a passive perception to notice them. They're not going to be that thing that people see from ten feet away because they're itty bitty. It, yeah. at, at a certain point, it's just going to start. Especially looking Especially like in the dark. dark. Especially right. in the dark. So
1: here's my my thing about them. I like them um, as a alarm system. You have an iron pot already, and you have assumed at least some amount of rope or whatnot. You dump this bag in the iron pot and string it up. And when somebody hits that rope, you're going to hear these things jingling around. Oh, yeah. Because they're metal. They're little steel balls, right? Um, In bright sunlight, you're going to be able to see this as well pretty easily. One of the things that they don't get into is the fact that I require this to be on a hard surface. This is not going to work in the dirt. No. It's not going to work in sand or in a jungle. This is going to be for dungeons. Ship decks would work,
0: right? Um, for certain, like, if it's a sand thing, sure. But, uh, like, if it's sand thing, yes, they 100% would work. But if it's, like, a packed road, I would, I would still make the person roll, but they would have advantage on the roll.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. DC 10 decks is nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. You're going to slow down one or two of the five goblins, right? Like you're not, you're not going to get nearly as much as you want out of these, but I still think they're good to have.
0: Yeah. Do you have any other unique uses for them?
1: Uh, yeah. So when camping and I don't want to have my fucking gear on me that, Hey, we just, when we raided the dungeon, we have the magical amulet. Nobody is going to attune to it right now. We got to get this back and give it to the King but we don't want to keep it on us because we know there's goblins in the area, right? And we're going to go for a long rest. I'm going to take these, this pouch. I'm going to put the amulet in the pouch and I'm going to sink it in the river while we go to sleep. Just to keep it away from... Just to keep it away from everything. It's not going anywhere. Assuming it's a small stream or creek,
0: right? <laughs> Drop it in the middle of the lake. Fuck, there's another another session worth of D&D to get Do we have a back?
1: triton in the party? <laughs> Jesus. Where's no. the seal? Yeah, but... Seriously, this is going to be useful for that kind of thing. So, um, next on the list is, I mean, in the same conversation, Caltrops. Yep. Right. Uh, you get a bag of 20 for, again, one gold piece, and they're two pounds as well. Caltrops are just D4s, but um, spikier. Spikier. So, the idea here is that you cover um, a square area that's five feet on a side because you have fewer of them they're far larger than the ball bearings but they're still the size of
0: about a d4 yeah i, I view them more as like uh jumping jacks without the balls yeah. on the ends of the on the ends of the spikes
1: yeah they're they're sharp and they are meant for people to accidentally step on home alone style like dan said um it's a dc 15 deck save or you stop moving this turn because you take one piercing damage on the bottom of your foot yep i think about all the greaves that people wear all of the uh, like leather soled shoes and whatnot these things have got to be spiky. This is like stepping on nails. Yep. So um, these things are not something that you want to accidentally fall on. I'm not keeping oh. this in my pocket. I'm keeping it in my backpack. Yeah. Um, anyway, a creature that's moved through the area at half speed again doesn't get slowed down. Or doesn't have to deal with the save or anything. So.
0: Yes, but also... If a character takes damage from these things... Yeah, their speed is reduced by 10 feet. Until they regain a hit point. Yeah, I'm sure, but I think... Lower levels, that's going to be far more impactful than later levels. But, I mean, you're getting chased. Throwing caltrops behind you at a DC 15 and lower levels is actually going to be a good tactic.
1: Yeah, I also really like them for things that slither. Oh, that would be brutal. I'm going to give them disadvantage because... I'm also going to call it slashing damage and maybe a D4 or something because... Can you imagine a U on t with a snake body coming over a five-foot square of these nails? Yikes. Yeah. So, a purple worm is even going to be a little pissed off and tender after
0: this. Yep. Next, we have a fishing tackle. This is going to be everything you need to fish. This is a full-on tackle box. Yeah. Rod,
1: string, the line. It's all included. It's everything.
0: It's four pounds of fishing gear.
1: Um. This is never going to come up unless you do regular survival checks or you're doing an aquatic campaign. Um, but I have no problem picking this up, especially if I have
0: expendable. Um, if you are a rogue, it. you should definitely have some of this on you. The idea of using fishing tackle to grab that item over there or... or Like through the window? Through a window or something like that. Like there are lots of interesting uses for a hook and fishing line. Right? Yeah, the fact that you can pass things down from a rooftop as well. Yep. So, And you could use the fishing tackle line that will come in your fishing tackle box as a tripping trap, as a... um, It's really useful to have along with thieves' tools. Yeah. So you have chain and you have rope. But you don't have twine like you had in previous editions. This is where you find your lower level of rope.
1: Yeah. Um, The other thing that I'm going to say again, if this is an evil campaign and you have access to hooks, torture devices...
0: You have been watching far too much Hellraiser lately.
1: Uh, no, I just ran an evil campaign and I got really, really focused on it during this episode because um, I missed that campaign quite a bit. But I was thinking there's a really good way to get someone to keep their eyes open is using fishing hooks to pin their eyelids up and down. Yikes, Adam. What? Just yikes. What? Anyway, the next one is a hunting trap. Oh, so, this will be good. Um, this one's a little bit more expensive. It's five gold pieces and it's 25 pounds. This is not just a little snare, okay? It takes an action to set it and this is a sawtoothed steel ring that snaps shut. It's a bear trap. Yeah. This is a fucking bear trap. It's affixed by a heavy chain to an immobile object such as a tree or a spike. There's that 10 uh, iron spikes again. Yep. Right? Uh, that has been hammered into the ground and anybody that steps on it has to use a DC-13 deck save or take 1d4 piercing damage, and then stop moving. Until they break free from it, they're limited by the length of the chain, which is usually three feet, so they're stuck where they are. A creature can use its action to make a DC 13 strength check, um, which will either free itself or anybody else. Like That's how much it takes to like pry it open. Yep. Um, but each failed check deals an additional piercing damage to the
0: trapped creature. Yeah, I just, I imagine these things like spring-loaded, like you're trying to pull it apart, and oh, you fail, snap's closed. And this, again, is, a DC-13 is not a whole lot, especially when you're playing at like level 8, level I would have higher versions of these as we're going up that are just a little bit more complicated, a little bit... This is a really, yeah, this is a really basic one. You're going to need some thieves tools to dismantle this shit at higher levels. Yeah, Um, also keep uh, them away from all carry Elwises in your party. Because of the Saw movies? Because of the Saw movies. That was a Saw joke. So next we have a steel mirror. And it boggles my mind that it's just a pane of polished steel. That's all it is. It's not a glass mirror. It's not a um, high technology item like glass would bring. Even though we do have spy glasses. There are glass mirrors that you will be able to find in castles and stuff. Yeah. But no, when you're talking about a, we're, this an is adventuring m- mirror... This is medieval-level stuff. You're going to have a polished steel plate that is your mirror.
1: Okay, so what do you use a steel mirror for, Dan? Um, I
0: Okay, there's so many different uses. It's one of the most, like... This is one of the big ones this that is people a big utility. always get. You could use this as a signal light. Absolutely. Right? You could use this to look around corners. Yep. Uh, you can use this to distract your uh, bard. Yep. For extended periods of time. We've tried it with Terry, it works. Oh, yeah, um, just shining the light in his yeah. eyes when he's trying to focus? No, no, no. Just showing him his own reflection. He'll be there for ten minutes. We're good.
1: Uh, then he starts playing with his nipples and it's awkward for everyone. Uh, except Dan, apparently. <laughs> That's an awkward pause. Oh my god.
0: But I mean the still mirror, it's it's supposed to be that thing as a in a camping side and an adventuring side of things. You're gonna be using this to, you know. Make sure you're, it's grooming purposes. It's got adventuring purposes. Um, you're not going to be able to do the, you know, burn an ant with the magnifying glass level stuff with this. But redirecting light beams for puzzles with a steel mirror? Friends, it works.
1: Here's here's the other thing that I'm going to throw out there. Um, first of all, Gorgons and Medusas. Yep. And like, there are so, I mean... Traditional Gorgons, not, not D&D Gorgons. But Medusas specifically, and Basilisks and whatnot. Mirrors are useful for this shit. Cockatrice. No, theirs is based on slashing damage. They hit is it with, based on slashing yeah, yeah, damage Yeah, they, they hit you with, okay. their, with their foot. Yeah. Um, but it's not listed on, on the uh, list anywhere. But I do want to bring up the idea of a silver mirror. Silver mirrors are actually, or they were more common... Um, than steel mirrors were just because of how abundant um, silver mines were in some locations. Yeah, but here's the thing about a s- uh, silver mirror is it tends to be glass with a very thin silver base that's kind of been poured on when it's molten underneath it and it's flat. and they press the glass against it um, just to keep it from chipping and you know, yep. it, it stays safe. But it is where the idea that a vampire can't see their reflection comes from because of the weakness to silver. So I would say that if you can spend more money on it, I mean, a steel mirror is five gold pieces. I'd say 15 maybe for a silver mirror. That's going to be small. Like these things are three inches by four inches. Yeah, they're They're not big. they're, They're little. But if you could have one of these things, it could be useful for detecting undead. Oh, yeah, that would be really good. So I just throwing that out there for anybody that's gonna play Curse of Strahd, any DMs that wanna start fucking around with anything in, in Curse of Strahd or the if Shadow. If you Battle,
0: have a heavy horror-based campaign using your mundane items to ramp up the spookiness.
1: Yeah, is really helpful. Yeah. So the next thing is a signal whistle. This is literally just a whistle. This is a Just one? A, or just a single whistle? Signal whistle, okay. Dan. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm amazed you're not single. So the, with a signal whistle. Are you done? You you shit-eating grin? God, you got a lot of poop between your teeth. (laughs) Anyway, this is just a simple whistle like you see referees carry. Yeah. Uh, The reason they call it a signal whistle is because they're not really out there on the soccer or football pitch, right? They are um, going to be using this to signal from long distances away. Um, There'll be a number of blasts, long and short will mean different things. Yeah. And it's going to be scouts using it to to send signals long distances to armies, especially if they get captured. Yep. This is a great use for you and your party to have, like, get this item, especially if you're going to be splitting up and scouting and you don't have access to things like message and sending and that kind of stuff.
0: Even if you do have access to things like message and sending, a signal whistle will go miles for, like... Try to find your friend who's, like, locked in a labyrinth or in a cave or, like, reorient yourself that way. Or
1: in a cave-in, right? Like, there's a lot of uses for this as well. You can fuck with giant bats by using a signal whistle.
0: I like using signal whistles that are a little bit more um, unique as well. And they function almost as horns in a way where you will be able to tell who is in trouble based on the tone of the signal whistle. I would assume that things um, or
1: creatures like elves will be more inclined to use whistles than dwarves who use horns.
0: Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. If you are a shepherd druid or you are a ranger with your animal companion or whatever it is, you're a really, really nature-based warlock. Having a signal whistle to, you know, communicate with your animal companion. Or you're familiar or whatever. Or you're familiar Also tracks, also works. Like, I I look at things like Lovecraft Country, where they are controlling the Shagoths with a whistle.
1: Yeah. It works.
0: Uh, The other side of things as well is that um,
1: animal companions are far more viable uh, after Tashes has come out now Mm -hmm. um, for rangers. But also, you get sidekicks who are going to stay back with the camp as you go out into the woods. This is great for actual communication. But remember... You can't just say, I blow I blow the whistle twice and that lets my sidekick know that we're in trouble. No, set that shit up early. Yeah. Write it down. Have a code there so that you can refer to it because God knows the DM will ask you, what does that mean? How do you do it?
0: And friends, this does not mean bring a whistle to the table. Don't be that guy.
1: Oh, I don't know. Be that guy. That'd be funny.
0: Once It'll be funny
1: once. Ask Dave about... He, he has a recorder and a ukulele that he plays
0: when he's he barred. Listen to the Call of Cthulhu series where he brought a duck whistle to the table. That never made it into the oh, final. Oh, Dave brought a duck whistle to the table. It would go... Yeah, it was a duck
1: call for hunting. Yeah. And it, it shat the bed, but... Ugh.
0: So next on this uh, hunting items, uh, general adventure gear level of things is the Grand Pappy of the Mall... The one thousand gold piece spyglass. This thing only weighs a pound, but it is an intricate work of gnomish engineering. Bullshit. That's what I'm saying. Bullshit. It is. But
1: um, you know who makes these ericocra? Why do you say that? Because they got to be up in the trees and on cliff tops and shit. They need, yeah, to but see- they already have eagle eyes. They're fine. Not not every ericocra is an eagle. You racist bastard. Some of them are hawks.
0: Anyways, so the spyglass the spyglass has. Um, A significant uh, downside as well is it only increases the size of things by twice their size when you look through it.
1: Yeah, it does let you see things at a distance. So it's going to be incredibly useful when you are on ships, also airships. Yeah. But if you're doing scouting missions and stuff, that's going to be helpful. I always think of the scene with uh, Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where he like, pulls out a little leather pouch and he unrolls it and he has two different glass lenses yeah. and he lines them up and then he rolls it up again to, to make the tube and he looks through it and Kevin Costner's never seen this before if he's playing Robin Hood so he's like ah oh, I can see them they're coming there's a, a group of them you know three miles away here look through this and he sees it and freaks out for the first time he's never seen this before <laughs> he pulls out a sword and starts like looking in one eye and waving a sword in front of him to, to figure out what kind of magic this shit is and yeah. like Not everyone will have seen a spyglass.
0: Yeah. It's so... This is a feat of engineering in a magical world. um, For a unique use of these things, I really like the idea of it being just that rolled up lenses. Yeah. Right? It makes sense for its weight that it is just that. But the telescoping spyglass that you see on like a pirate ship thing is also applicable that's really cool for eberron i'm not sure that i would have that depending on where you are
1: depending on where you are right um but you're on the sword coast sure but if you're if you're out in carator uh, you're probably not fair enough
0: uh if the problem with them they are fairly one note but if you get the lens out of them for whatever reason that curved piece of glass is going to give you so many different little options in terms of investigation checks, I'd give you advantage on. You can start fires and shit with a few box. You could free yourself from like rope binds with it, just by the the sharpened edges. By either the sharpened edges or by redirecting light to burn through rope. So yeah, having that curved glass, get creative,
1: people. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of light, let's move on to the next section.
0: Okay, let's roll dice.
1: I wish. The player's handbook had shit laid out like this. Yeah, it's all alphabetical in a random I wonder, I, uh, bullshit. Anyways. Oh, nat twenty. On oh, eighteen. I beat you eighteen with a nat uh. twenty. Alright, uh, candle. Candles are one copper piece and they're non scented And they burn for an hour, and they give you five feet of bright light and five feet of dim light, and then that's it. Yeah. I mean There's not a whole bunch to say about this. I I use buy them on mass because honestly. Torches only, we'll talk about torches in a second here, but torches only last an hour or two. And how many times do I say, what light source are you using? I don't care that five of the six of you in the adventuring party has dark vision. That human is blind during every long rest. Yep. Get candles. That's it. Hard stop. And for one copper piece and with like nothing,
0: they don't weigh anything. Just buy a fucking hundred of them. Have candles candles they are incredibly useful as well for um, keeping track of things. Uh, the I I view candles less as objects that generate light and more as transportation devices for wax. Yeah, because,
1: right? you, yes, all right. We will get into books and paper and shit later, Dan, because yeah. I know that's your masturbatory favorite fucking fantasy when it comes to your fantasy shit is my guy, he likes to write things and he can write in seven different kinds of script and he knows Elvish, but also
0: ancient Elvish and also sea Elvish because my name is Daniel and I know these fucking things. That's that's kind of rude because not all of my characters, is just my most recent one was like that. And the one before it. No, the one before that wasn't like that. The one before that was a warlock that just had the ability to do it through an invocation. So your character still had it? No, he had the ability to read it all, not write it all. Because of warlock invocations. You, you be, are such a fucking nerd, Dan. You should really learn this game a little better, Adam. Anyway, so then there's the lamp.
1: <laughs> I sorry, I couldn't hear you through the cock in
0: your mouth. No worries. Um so next on the list Merry is. Merry Christmas, the lamp. everyone. <laughs> Next on the list is the lamp. This is a standard like camping lantern.
1: No, it isn't. And that is a common misconception. I went and looked this shit up. Oh, this is like the genie's lamp. This is a genie lamp. This is this is the original lamp that like I'm glad that you brought that up because in previous editions the artwork is for the genie lamp and then yeah. nobody ever fucking
0: so basically it's it's that little like uh teacup elongated tea pot looking thing that you fill full of oil and then it burns out of the end yeah yeah uh, just um, the tip is on fire just the tip is on fire go to a doctor um this will burn a healer's for 6 kit will not help you this will burn uh, fuck this will this will burn for 6 hours the lamp not the other thing um and it will do that on a full flask or a pint of oil.
1: Yeah. Um, it also gives more limited uh, light than the others.
0: Now, when this thing burns, it's going to burn at a 15-foot bright light radius around you. And it, everything 30 feet around you is going to be dim. This thing is going to be great for using when you're sneaking through a castle. Yep. Uh Sneaking through some sort of urban area. I would there. even say like in a library yep. or you're sneaking into the noble's house. You want to light a lamp. I mean, a library might not want like open, exposed flame to the elements. but I
1: don't know. Medieval libraries had candles and shit all over the place. They just use mirrors to bounce it all, right? Yeah. And these lamps are not really that large. The flame on it is the size of a candle. It's mm- just way the fuck over there this, like this yep. long brass. Usually in my head, they're brass, but they're just made of whatever metal probably with uh, some sort of leather at the bottom so you can set it down on things. Yeah. Um, But that brings us to lanterns. And the first one is the bullseye lantern. Now, the bullseye lantern is just a lantern. The way that these work is they've got a very uh, narrow slot. Otherwise, it's completely blacked out with the metal. um, And so you're burning the oil inside of it. But the way that it sends so much light in one direction is there are mirrors inside of it that are actually catching light and forcing it in one direction through this hole. And so that's how you get 60 foot cone of bright light and 60 foot cone of dim light beyond that. 120 feet of light with one of
0: these. This is your equivalent to a flashlight.
1: It really is. Again, it'll burn for six hours off of one of these flasks of of oil. This is pretty standard for light sources and stuff in D&D for these mundane items. But because there's mirrors inside of it and whatnot as well, it's worth 10 gold pieces. It's going to be more expensive. Yep. It's the most expensive kind of light source here. Um, and it does not shine it in a radius. It is a cone.
0: Yeah. Following that is going to be your traditional camping lantern. That is your hooded lantern for five gold and two uh, pounds. It, again, will only burn for six hours like all the other ones have so far. Um Safe for candles, of course. But it will burn a bright light 30-foot circle around you, and then a dim light 30-foot circle around that. Right, but it's got a hood on it, so it takes an action
1: to drop this hood so that it only gives five feet of dim light.
0: This will be incredibly useful for your sneaking for, um, like... It's
1: just five gold pieces, so it's a little outside of your price range at really, like, beginning of Tier 1. Yeah. But... Yeah, you're right. Super useful for sneaking through libraries and shit. This is probably the preferred method. Yeah. All right, so then we come up to our tinderbox. And a tinderbox is one of these things that I always have a little bit of trouble wrapping my brain around. Um, and it actually has a hint in it about the next item as well, the torch. Okay. So let me actually read this directly, okay? This small container holds flint, fire steel, which is just steel that you can use. It's, uh, it's rougher, coarse yeah. steel. Right? That you strike with the flint to create sparks. And tinder. Traditionally tinder is um, like sawdust and little shavings off of wood. But it says specifically it's usually dry cloth that has been soaked in light oil. So you use it to kindle a fire. Using it to light a torch or anything else with abundant exposed fuel takes an action. Lighting any other fire takes one minute. This is where we find out how long it takes under tinderbox to light a torch. A minute. No, it takes an action. Lighting a fire oh, yeah, takes yeah. a minute. So it, it we also learn what torches are made of. And that is exposed. Um, Sorry, what what does it say here?
0: Abundant uh, and exposed fuel. So it's usually one of two
1: things. One of it is uh, these oil-soaked rags that are wrapped around kind of a, a tree knot almost. Yep. Um, but the other way to do it as well is to use um, beeswax because beeswax burns and melts. Mm-hmm. So you might have some of that mixed in with the um, the way that the torch is created and built. Uh, there might be some grease instead of oil, like a larder or a animal fat. Or, yeah. And so this is what we can expect with, with torches. These are not just sticks that burn. These are not road flares. Yeah. Right, and so that I just wanted to bring that up because we get the clues about it. And again, a tinderbox only weighs a pound and takes an action to use to light something that as fuel or a minute something that isn't fuel. So you can't just light the bedroom on fire and run the fuck away because the guards are pounding on the door. Mm-hmm. So dear
0: arsonists, calm down, yeah. talk to your local It's table. not a book of matches is basically exactly. what you're going to say. Yeah. Um, This is really, really cool as well because it's always bothered me how a lot of torches just seem to defy that logic. Remember, they coat them in fat and wax and stuff to prolong the flame. Yeah. Not to... Make it burn brighter. Burn brighter or make it more intense or um, whatever it is. It is purely there to slow down the consumption aspect of fire on this wood stick you're carrying around. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Speaking of torches, we're going to hit the Big Daddy here. Everyone's got a bunch of them. Torches are... I wonder are how
1: many times you're going to say the Big Daddy. All it's the twice. time. So.
0: One copper piece each. They're a pound each. And they last for an hour each. They only give you a 20-foot radius of light around you and 20-foot of dim light around that.
1: This is very, very, very limiting um, when it comes to even dark vision and whatnot. Yeah. You need to carry torches. Again, they only last for an hour. If you do not have um, access to lanterns and lamps and oil and whatnot... And again, me as a DM, I'm going to be asking you... How many flasks of oil do you have? We'll get into liquids here in a, in a minute. Yeah. But, like, it, it. it's a big deal. But you have to carry these with you because you will run out of uh, torchlight. And they will last a short rest, but not a long rest. You don't want to burn through eight torches... And while you may think that's only eight copper pieces, what what's your carrying capacity? How many of these can you logically carry on you before your DM says, wait a fucking minute? Yeah, right. I almost want a bag of holding for my light sources just so I can carry enough of it. I mean, we'll have to talk about what a bag of holding does later because a lot of tables get that wrong too. Yeah, So we'll do that with a magical gear episode, not yeah. not this one.
0: So, moving on to uh, topic two here. We're going to be covering specifically some tools. Most of these items are going to have a very straightforward and obvious use. And some of them may not be necessary for all adventuring parties, but some of them can have a heavy use. So, Adam, uh, what we're going to go over first is our ropes, our... Yeah, this is not something that everybody needs to carry. I figure some people
1: in the party need to carry them. You stole my fucking die. Give me that back. Sully my die. Sixteen. I got a, a 12, but I would have had an 18 if you hadn't touched it.
0: All right. You got uh, a and rope, 50 foot of and rope. This is going to cost a gold and weigh 10 pounds for 50 feet of rope. Um, it's got a hit point of two hit points, which means if you're going to be trying to cut it, it's going to take two hit points worth of damage to cut this thing. Yep. And if you just straight up want to break it like He-Man, you're going to need a strength save of DC. Or, sorry. A strength DC of 17 to do so.
1: So, yeah. So, the strength check is going to be to cut it. Um, But remember I said before about the knife, I would let you do like one slashing damage. Yeah. So, it'll take two rounds to cut through rope by by this math. Um, The next one on the list is Silk Rope. I have nothing unique to say about Silk Rope except the fact that it is 10 times the price but half the weight. And that's why people choose Silk over Hemp Rope.
0: It has no other mechanical bonuses.
1: No, it is the same thing as far as, you know, it's two hit points, DC 17 strength in order to break it. Um, And honestly, the DC 17 strength feels weak because I honestly feel like a horse is going to bust that. I think a horse should be able to bust it. I think that if your horse is breaking your rope, why are you tying your
0: horse up? If a horse wants to get away, they will. That's the thing, right? And that's, that's, that's common even today. If a horse wants to get away, it will get away. But that's one of the wonders of it being a domesticated animal.
1: Well, I would hope so. It's not going to matter though when a purple worm comes by.
0: Well, how about this then? If you really want to use a large beast of burden for uh, bait for say a purple worm, don't use rope. Use a chain. Yeah. Okay, but are you chaining horses to a wagon then? If you're, u- well, if you're using it for a as bait for a beast of burden, yeah.
1: Well, no, but it, it raises an interesting question though about whether or not um, eight huskies can pull a sled that's weighed down with the paladin, right? Or is that rope the weak point and it's, it's going to break?
0: I no, I I think it's also the direction with which you are pulling it or doing what you need to do. My point is
1: you get 50 feet of it. You might want to braid it some ways or see if you can get a sturdier rope if you're getting into like a seafaring campaign that's going to be different than your basic adventuring rope. This is rope that's meant to have a grappling hook on the end of it. And it's mostly... As we talk about it in this section, there's really two main uses for rope. And it is going uh, vertical directions, whether lifting or climbing or whatever, Yeah, or tying someone up, right? So... I wish that it would give us a tensile strength.
0: I I, I think that's what the 17 is. That's what
1: that represents.
0: Yeah, but how many pounds is
1: that? I guess I have to look at carrying capacity to figure that out.
0: Yeah, look at the carrying capacity for 17 strength. Well, or like a DC of 17 strength. Yeah. Um, While you do that, I'm going to go over chain, which has a break DC of 20 strength, which seems low for chain, but it does have 10 hit points to cut through. Again, that's supposed to be hard though, yeah, I guess
1: this is this is cheap chain. This is not the big steel chain that
0: we're used to seeing in an industrial world today. I don't know, I mean it's uh, no, not like the massive chain, but this is this has got some heft to it. I mean, for a ten foot length, it's ten pounds, so that is a pound for a foot of chain. that's a significantly sized chain,
1: yeah, but again, I feel like a barbarian. Arnold Schwarzenegger could bust his way out of that. True. And that's why it would be a 20 strength yeah, for that. So, and, and it would be hard for someone like me. So the carrying capacity is your strength score multiplied by 15. So 17 times 15 is uh, 285 pounds. That, that's significant, but I mean, your paladin... If, if
0: that's straight up resistance, yeah, I guess. It. Your, I'm not kidding
1: though. Your half orc, your goliath paladin is going to break that rope. If that's the, if that's the metric that we're using, push pull or drag though is uh, twice your carrying capacity. Well, that's carrying capacity though. Like I assume that there's got to be more to it than that. I just wish that we got a fucking answer here. Fair. I mean, I'm I'm starting to extrapolate at this point, and that's not what fifth ed is meant for. Yeah, extrapolation is what 3.5 is meant. (laughs) So anyway, um, next up is the grappling hook. This one's pretty straightforward. This is not a single hook like a fish hook. This has multiple hooks. They're not necessarily sharp, but they're not necessarily dull either. Think about the claw end of a hammer. Yep. Right on the back of a hammer, for those of you who are not carpenter background. Um, But it is going to be sharp enough to catch, but it's not going to really pierce unless you put some real weight into it. I could swing the back of a claw hammer through somebody's skull. But I'd have to put my body weight into that swing to do it. Yeah. Right. So, um, again, a grappling hook for me is not a weapon.
0: Uh no, no. If you are swinging it, it's an improvised weapon and it's one d four. Yeah, I'm just I'm just catching things on it. Yeah, so, and that's, that's well, all. if you are going to be climbing, we of course need to talk about the climber's kit, um, and that's what we'll talk about next. Uh, the climber's kit includes special pitons, uh, boot tips, gloves, and a harness. Um, it is, I think like an ice climbers kit. That's what I think. Like the boots have the little spikes on them, right? Makes it easier to do that. You can use it to, uh, anchor yourself as an action. And when you do, you can't fall more than 25 feet from the point where you anchored yourself.
1: But you have to use one of these pitons to actually anchor yourself.
0: And it is piton, not pitten.
1: I've always called it a pitten. I learned this this week. Yeah.
0: Um, if you say it's a pitten. Everyone knows what you're talking about. It's not a big deal, but but the climber's kid's twelve pounds, right? So it's got some heft to it. Yeah, but that's because it's a harness and
1: it is these metal like attachments to your body.
0: As someone who's had to work on a lot of roofs and had to wear fall protection, yeah, this but, makes sense. Yeah,
1: that shit's heavy. it's yeah. not light. Um, but it's weird that all of this, all of these rules about the twenty-five feet that that you like, you can't fall more than that. Uh, if you use a piton one, it's in the climber's kit rule. There is nothing that's listed under the piton itself. A piton, for those of you who don't know, it's it's like an iron spike, except it's a little bit heftier and it's got a hole in it that you can feed rope through. Yeah. Right? And you're meant to be able to hammer it into things. So um, they're strong. Again, I love to use these things to lock doors. Um, but no, for a climber's kit, I don't see, I don't see adventuring parties ever using this. Until they really fucking need it. Unless I'm doing a mountainous campaign. Yeah. I just don't see anybody buying this. Um, When you have iron spikes on the other hand, yeah, I don't get it. So it's super circumstantial and I don't particularly feel the need to spend too much time worrying about all the different shit that's in it. Um, Although it's weird that, again, gloves, and we very rarely talk about gloves at all. Unless they're magical.
0: You'd buy them because they're cheaper. The, oh, the pitons petons are way cheaper than steel spikes are they it is a five copper for a piton it is a gold for 10 steel spikes yeah but that's a silver so they're yeah. half the price of a steel spike
1: yeah so the steel spikes are obviously larger than a piton would be yeah um but uh yeah, the the fact that like uh, that they're even on this list is weird to me. There should have just been something added to the climber's kit, except I guess people would need to replace them. If you're doing who's doing rock climbing challenges enough that you've got to replace pitons, well they don't even list how many are in the climber's kit in the first place. Yeah, they just This is just theirs. an odd thing to have on the list.
0: Yeah, it doesn't quite uh track. Next is the block and tackle. Um the block and tackle is a set of pulleys with a cable threaded through them. And it has a hook on the one end to attach to objects. Um, it basically, what it it's a pulley system that lets you hoist up to four times your uh, weight that you can normally lift.
1: Okay, so this thing is going to be four times my carrying capacity. I guess it's twice as strong. Is what it could hold. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so stor- this is how you take your rope and you lift your full plate mail wearing Goliath. Yeah. So block and tackle is actually the useful
1: thing here. And especially, I'm going to want this if I'm doing a big dungeon delve, I'm doing anything on cliff faces, but also anything with ships out on the ocean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Next up, I mean, we're talking about going up and down, so we'll bring up ladder here. Sure. Not like the average person is not going to carry a 10 foot ladder around. I have carted 10 foot ladders around. Dan, you do it for work. Yeah. It's not easy. Who's just carrying one of these fucking things of the woods?
0: Yeah. Again, two. What Mary Poppins motherfuckers use in this?
1: It is so bizarre that this is even like on the list when you've got grappling hook and rope and shit as well. Except that it's so damn cheap. It's obviously made of wood, but it's 25 pounds. So it's a sturdy wood.
0: And... It's it's, only a silver. It's only a silver. It's weird. It's just all around weird. This is one of those things that once you get the bag of holding, keep one on you just because... Just sure. you have have a 10-foot ladder, that can come out of... I, I just don't...
1: Like, this is a fucking odd yeah. answer. Although I...
0: F- funny enough, I see 10-foot ladders used more often by monks to do their Jackie Chan bullshit... I was going to say. ...than to actually use them as a ladder.
1: Yeah, the improvised weapon, the 1d4, yeah. at, with range is...
0: You yeah. Know. I find that there's going to be a couple items here, and we're seeing it now with, like, the pitons and this, that are more references for a Dungeon Master than a player.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Right? But definitely more for a player... We're going to go for the 10-foot pole.
1: So before you get into the 10-foot pole and the uses of it, I want to get into a little bit of funny history with D&D. Okay. The, do you know why we got 3.5 instead of 3rd edition?
0: Uh, Well, their grapple rules were bonkers. The 3.0
1: 3rd edition itself, the economy was so fucked up because buying a ladder was cheaper than half the price of two 10-foot poles. So it was like... It was like 15 gold or 15 silver pieces or something for a, for a ladder, but a 10-foot pole was 10, right? So people were cutting ladders in half and flipping them and selling them, <laughs> and it broke the economy. This was one of the first hacks, right Like the dawn of the internet, where people were sitting there going, Hey, I broke d d You want to be rich? Go buy a shit ton of ladders. Don't tell your DM what you're doing. You're just going to make 100 gold overnight, and he'll never let you do it again. But everybody, here's a a cheat for this. This was actually one of the catalysts that had um, the creators say, okay, you know what? We fucked up the math. Yeah. The economy needs to get reworked, and it was the ladder versus the 10-foot pole that was the reason why.
0: Now, Adam, why is a ten-foot pole useful? Like what is the traditional reason for a ten-foot pole? Uh to, f- to fuck your mom. Or to activate traps ten feet away. Yes, absolutely. That, yeah. is, that is the real <laughs> That's reason. That's the real reason. Don't 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 give me that, that opportunity there <laughs> Jesus. Um, the thing I always love to do with a ten foot pole is to tie a alchemist fire to the one end. Yeah. And uh, I think we... Smash ca- a cobalt
1: over the head with it. Smash a
0: cobalt over the head with it. I think we called it a fuck you stick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just the hilarity would ensue from that. But they are so intensely useful. But at the same time, what person is carting these things through a little five-foot cobalt tunnel?
1: Oh, uh, and that's just it. Again, this is for your bag of holding level yeah. nonsense. I love the idea of a 10-foot pole. Honestly, I would turn to my... Sure you do. Um, to my dungeon master and say... Can I get it to the point where it, like, breaks apart in the middle? Ow. Right? So that it's two five-foot poles so that I can attach the two and use it um, for my range and my distance? Yeah. Dan, because I screw it together? Is that what you're getting no, me about? No,
0: you did kind of like a two-handed thing, and I was like, all right, yeah, sure, go ahead.
1: I always have to use two hands, Dan. Yeah, you? yeah, sure. So. <laughs> I'm 12 years old. Just because can't reach all the way around with one hand. That's what it's about. Girth. Gross. Anyway, and
0: speaking of. No one talks about how, how thick the pole is. So, I I honestly, I look at it, I, it's a 10-foot broomstick handle is basically the way I look at it. It's yeah. not too big. It's not, it's a pole vault thing is what I Honestly, yeah. yeah. It's it's meant for triggering traps that are
1: far away. It's meant for um, poking that button that's on the other side of the room that you just, you know it's fucking trapped. So you don't yeah. want to go in there. Um, It is for doing a little bit of pole vaulting if there's like a... You just want advantage on the jump through the crevice.
0: It's for giving your giants a quarterstaff? No, it
1: absolutely fucking is not. And And I'm going to have a little rant about stabs later. Okay. Um. Next on this list is uh, manacles. Okay. So, manacles are one of these things that I feel like people get. They use once and never think about again. They're two gold pieces. They're six pounds. These things have 15 hit points. And... It takes a DC 20 Dex to wriggle free or a DC 20 Strength to break out. So the Metal Restraints are meant to bind small or medium creatures. Honestly, I think about the thickness of a wrist. So I could use manacles on like a horse, even though it's a large creature because they've got kind of thin legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But I'm not going to use it on a giant, right? So um, each set of manacles comes with one key and one key only. But if you are proficient with these tools, then you can pick the lock, but it needs to be a DC 15 dex. Yeah. So that is standard for manacles. Now, chain is 10 pounds for 10 feet. Manacles are 6 pounds. But they've got like one and a half times the hit points, which means these are thicker steel. Yeah. Right? This is essentially two cuffs, two iron cuffs or steel cuffs that are linked by a very short chain. It's really up to the DM whether or not these act as handcuffs or legitimate manacles that have like a two foot span yeah, yeah, them. yeah. So talk about it with your DM or DMs. Talk about it with your players and be clear about the length of the chain between the two cuffs because it's not listed anywhere, and that makes a fuck of a difference, especially when dealing with small creatures that can wiggle or move. You know their arms around. Someone with a high enough dex could say, "Hey, can I know my hands are tied behind me, but it's two foot length." Can I get my shoulders up and around and bring my hands to the front? Can I tuck my legs in underneath and bring them around to the front? Right? So, and
0: also, can I beat someone with this chain? Well, speaking about beating people with a chain, Adam, we need to take a pause in this real quick to break down improvised weapons before we move on to our next list, which is going to be a lot of things you can use as an improvised weapon. Yeah. Okay. So an improvised weapon is any object that you can wield with one or two hands um, such as a bro, uh, such as broken glass, like a bottle, a table leg, frying pan, a wagon wheel, a dead goblin tied to a dead kobold with some sticks through it. So it's like a goblin.
1: Okay. So you went totally off script there, but, but that's actually written in the fucking rules. Yeah. Is you can use a dead goblin as an improvised weapon that is actually in the source material.
0: That's metal as fuck.
1: Yep. I'm cool with it. Yep. Yeah. So... Most of the time, an improvised weapon, you know that it's going to be treated like an actual weapon. You know, uh, you're going to pick up a table leg and use it as a club, for example. At a DM's discretion, a character proficient with the weapon can use a similar object. For example, yes, you're proficient with short swords. You're using a machete. Yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake, yes. Yeah. You can do this. Um, and But... The thing is that with an improvised weapon, you don't get your proficiency bonus. If you're proficient within the DM says it's okay, then you would get to use it
0: yeah. to hit. Any object that doesn't bear any resemblance to a weapon is going to do 1d4 damage. And the GM is going to be assigning this um, damage type appropriate to that object. Yeah. Okay.
1: And which is going to be bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing as a
0: general rule. Yep. Yeah. If a character uses a ranged weapon to make a melee attack, for example, or throws a melee weapon that does not have the throne property, it becomes 1d4 damage. Because well, you're improvising the use yeah. of it. Throwing your great axe doesn't mean you get to do 1d12 damage to that guy 20 feet that way. No, you're not proficient with that. You're not proficient with it. It's not happening. An, an improvised thrown weapon has a normal range of 20 feet and a long range of 60 feet. Now, of course, this is... Going to be variable depending on what that weapon is. Or what you're using as that weapon.
1: Yeah, if you're trying to swing a ship's anchor, it's going to be less, less. than
0: 60 feet.
1: Yeah. yeah. So,
0: so let's move on here. We got some options.
1: I think we can go through these pretty quickly. Because honestly, we're going to say for the most part, you can use this as a weapon. As a weapon. Alright, so let's go through the first thing. Um, I got a 5 on my roll. Dan, you got a 2. So yeah. um, Crowbar. Derp. Yeah, this is pretty straightforward. Uh, This is not a pry bar, so it does have the hook uh, end to it. A pry bar is just one long straight piece of metal. Um, But this thing weighs five pounds and it costs two gold pieces. This is one of those things that tier one parties and adventurers love to pick up, but it tends to weigh them down and cripple their finances at low levels. Yeah. So you only need one of these in a party at low levels. I
0: mean, they're great because they give you advantage on strength checks to open things up. Yes, um,
1: but only when you're applying leverage. It's yeah. not going to give you advantage and strength check to smash glass.
0: They're also great against head crabs. Moving on, we have a hammer with that was a, uh, a half life. Half-Life yeah, joke. No, yeah, I got it. Um, next, you have a standard claw hammer. This is one gold and three pounds. This is your carpenter's hammer. Do you have uh, head crabs around your hammer too? No. Okay, keep going, Dan. Carpenter's hammer, yes? No, I'm done. It's just carpenter's hammer. Yeah. And it's just just a just a fuck off hammer. Like a handheld. But again, hammer. I'm gonna do walking dead this bitch.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna do about the same amount of damage as I am with a crowbar. Yeah. So the one D4 makes sense. The next one is a sledgehammer. Ten pounds and two gold pieces. It's this is gonna be two-handed weapon. Yeah, I right? I'm gonna make you swing this with with two hands instead of the one for the hammer. Um is a crowbar a versatile weapon? It doesn't matter. It's 1d4. Yeah. Right? Because you are not going to be proficient for cracking fucking skulls with this. This is not a war club.
0: Next is a miner's pick. Uh, not a war pick. So it's going to do 1d4 damage. Um, this is two gold pieces and weighs 10 pounds. Again, just like your sledgehammer, this is a two-handed weapon. Yeah,
1: and it's, it's got the same stats and stuff as the yeah. sledgehammer does, right? Um, the next one that I think is a little bit more fun, and I'm not sure that I would use this as a weapon necessarily.
0: <laughs> if you, I, I, I really wish you would not in one game, just once. I want to witness it. <laughs> uh,
1: is the portable RAM. So you you can use a portable RAM to break down doors. And when doing so, you get a plus four bonus to a strength check. This is one of the few times that I see a mechanical numerical bonus besides just advantage in Fit Dead, which is a big deal. Um, one other character can also help you use it, giving you advantage on the check as well. Cool. So this is a lot of fun. And this portable ram, in my head, they always have a carving of a ram's head on the end of it. Oh,
0: yeah. Of course it would.
1: Right? But, I mean, flavored how you want. As a matter of fact, I think that's actually the art in the book, is a ram's head on the portable I believe ram. it is, yeah. Uh, you keep going, Dan. I'm flipping.
0: Uh, uh, next is the portable U, because we have the portable ram. Head. So yeah. we have a portable U. Dan? Fine. We got a shovel. Guys, it's a shovel. It's a spade. It might be a square bottom shovel, but it's a shovel. You dig holes with it.
1: Uh, I think specifically it is a spade. I mean, you can do it however you want. But honestly, I think that um, all the art that I have ever seen for shovels in d d have always been a spade because you're digging into ground.
0: Now, this is two gold and five pounds. The one thing I would say is with a lot of camping supplies in our modern military, a shovel is fairly par for course because digging holes makes it a lot easier with a shovel. I'd give you advantage to digging a hole with a shovel if you needed to dig one under some sort of duress. And also, I would say this might be a foldable shovel. I think
1: that you're putting way too much thought into it. Honestly, I'm not going to give you a portable sledgehammer. I'm not going to give you a portable crowbar that folds in half. Like, it, I'm just going to let you have a shovel because unless you're a gnome tinker, artificer level nonsense, which of course you are, Dan, <laughs> then you're going to look for that kind of stuff, sure. But otherwise, it's going to go in the bag of holding. I'm going to use this as a club again as well. But I've seen people, I myself have tried to use a shovel as leverage and whatnot as well, like a crowbar. Yeah. Because crowbar specifically gives you advantage I would just give you, I don't know, a plus one modifier on it. That's not as good as it yeah, yeah. means, but that's not what this is for. You're improvising the use of it, right? Yeah. Um, and the last thing, of course, is a whetstone. They're one copper and one pound. They're cheap and easy. I only ever see this used for flavor during social scenarios where you're sitting on the campfire sharpening my
0: blade menacingly at the people across. You can't really use a whetstone as a weapon, but I mean, in a... In a... You can use anything as a weapon, Dan. Okay, yeah, whatever you say, bear grills, but what we're going to do is we're going to talk rationally here. The only time you're going to use a whetstone as a weapon is to whip at someone's head while you stand up, grabbing the axe you were just sharpening. No, I'd put it on someone's throat while they're lying down prone and then stomp on it. You're horrifying.
1: Evil campaign, Dan. Everything is a weapon.
0: Um, Okay, well, let's move on to our next thing here. Uh, We have containers in all of their sorts.
1: I got two. I got an eight. All right. So look, if you don't mind, Dan, I'm going to split this half and half so that I'm just going to do the first like fucking run at this and you can do the second run because I've split it up. It's so counterintuitive in the fucking book, the way it's laid out and you that you have to flip the page to find the container capacity. But even then it's not broken up by liquid or solids. It's broken up by in alphabetical order. Yeah. And it just gives you. Tons of stats. So I broke it down. Here we go. Really quickly. There's a vial, which holds four ounces. A flask or a tankard. A tankard is, uh, think about a beer stein, right? A flask, however, has a stopper on the end of it. So a flask has a lid. That is going to be the difference. But each of them hold one pint, which, of course, is 16 ounces. So worth four vials. Yeah. Okay. Then there's a glass bottle. Glass bottles also come with a stopper, and it holds a pint and a half. That's a big bottle. It's a big bottle, um, but it's, I mean, I get I get bottles that size, you know, every time I stop at a gas station yeah, to yeah. grab a drink, right? So, um, water skin holds four pints, so that's pretty decent. Um, a jug or a pitcher holds one gallon. Four pints is half a gallon. There are eight pints in a gallon. Okay. All yep. right. I'm. I live in a metric world. This shit drives me nuts. But here we are. So there's a jug or a pitcher. Again, a pitcher is like a pitcher of beer, but a jug is has like a, a clay lead. jug and has a
0: stopper on a the end four of it. liter bottle of milk is your jug. Yes. So the one gallon. Uh, yeah, one gallon is four liters. Exactly. So
1: well, three point seven five um, liters. Then you have a bucket, which is three gallons, um, and then you have a barrel. Which is 40 gallons. So, there's a huge gap here. And I will tell you right now that a vial and a glass bottle are by far the most expensive things you're going to spend your money on as far as the volume that you are able to actually uh, contain inside of it. Yep. One gold piece for four ounces for the vial or two gold pieces for a pint and a half. Um, This is insane that you are spending these prices.
0: But it's because... Glass is a rare commodity. Glass is rare. And I think you see that with the spyglass.
1: Yes. Um, And I want to touch on that as well a little bit later. I've got another thing about glass um, that I wanted to mention. But as far as as your best bang for your buck, it's going to be the bucket. The bang for your bucket. Because it essentially costs two copper pieces per pint that you're carrying. Which is amazing. However, there's no lid on it. Right, So I'm probably going to rely a lot on jugs and water skins and flasks. Even if I am an alchemist or a warlock or an herbalist, whatever it is, I will use flasks over vials because a flask is two copper pieces and holds a pint. A vial is one gold piece and holds four ounces. Why are you buying vials? Stop it. Yeah, Buy flasks. If you're going to have a bunch of shit...
0: By a jug, I just see like the one grizzled fighter character who's uh, making his own healing potions, and they're all in—they're all just in flasks, right? Just beat-up flasks that are his healing potions. Yeah,
1: and then there was that one that was, you know, whiskey.
0: That's a healing in a different way. So, uh, moving on to let's go with our dry wares holding containers. Um, We have our pouch. Um, which is five silver pieces and one pound and it holds one fifth of a cubic foot or six pounds of gear. Um, next you have your sack, which is one full cubic foot of, uh, gear or 30 pounds of gear is what it could hold a backpack, which is going to have the same capacity as your sack. It's just got, you know, that was not even touching
1: it, not even touching it,
0: um, Next, you have your basket. A basket is uh, basically a basket can contain twice as many cubic feet worth of uh, items, or
1: forty pounds of gear. So not nearly as much because baskets are you know made of, of reeds wicker and, yeah. and reeds
0: and not the highest uh, quality gear. Yeah. And uh, finally, you have a chest. Um, which you could get a bell or a lock or whatnot on it. We'll talk about those in just a second. but a chest which does 12 cubic feet or 300 pounds of gear.
1: Now you can also you can also put uh, um, dry goods and like stuff in buckets and barrels.
0: Well. Yeah, right. So I mean, you see that uh, when you're doing the cost effect breakdown here, you're gonna go so much further with a sack, which does one copper piece per cubic foot of storage than you would a barrel, which will do five electrum so 20, per
1: cubic feet. So 2.5 gold pieces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one
1: of the things that, that I had trouble understanding myself when looking at this was what are the fucking dimensions of these things? Yeah. All right. First and foremost, my problem was that anytime that I looked up, what is a cubic foot? It said it is a, it is The amount of volume with one foot on each side. Therefore, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, so two cubic feet is actually two feet on each side. But that's not
0: the actual fucking case. That's four cubic feet.
1: Yes, right? Uh, No, it isn't. If it's two on each side, it's eight cubic feet because it's two times two times two, right? This is your basic math here that's starting to break down. So when you get into... Um, two, two cubic feet for a basket that is one foot by, by one foot by two feet, one times one times two. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what you're dealing with here. Uh, one foot by one foot by one foot is for your backpack. It's for a sack. Right. But when you get into a barrel, that's one foot by one foot by four feet. That's why it's four cubic feet that it can hold. Yeah. Right. But a chest, this one baffled me for a minute. It's two feet by three feet by two two feet so it's two two and three so it's going to be three long two deep and and two wide yeah okay that can hold a bunch of shit in it 300 pounds is not you know a small amount of weight 300 pounds of gear yeah um but here's my next my next question though um if a chest weighs 25 pounds but it can hold 300 pounds then we know that what it can hold is not the weight of the thing that's listed, right? Yeah. It, the chest itself weighs 25 pounds. A barrel weighs 70 pounds? Holy shit.
0: It's almost like they assume that barrels
1: have... It's. I think it's because you can actually transport liquid in a barrel, where you can't in a chest. The liquid would seep through the cracks and shit in a chest. Oh, so... So it's going to be like weathered and, and it's going to be treated wood. Yeah, warm. but a
0: barrel is like... When you're saying barrel here, I think it's thinking more... Um, I Well, you said one foot by one foot by four feet. Yeah. So it's a four foot tall, one foot round thing.
1: Yeah. Well, A little bit more than one foot because of the, the circumference yeah. of high and whatnot. But yes... Yes, generally. This speaking. is literally
0: what I do for work.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm thinking it's got iron bands on it, which is gonna weigh it down. It's yeah. gonna be treated wood. It's going to be sealed at every corner. Like it's it a barrel is a hefty fucking piece to carry with you. And the fact that it is really not worth it. It but as far as the effectiveness of what it can carry, it is pretty good for liquids, but as far as solids go, a chest is better. Because you're spending 4.1 um, yeah. electrum per cubic feet as opposed to 5 electrum. So it's slightly better. But look at how much um, liquid that you can carry in a barrel. But what liquid are you carrying by the fucking barrel? Ale. Yes, I know. Barbarian Dan. If you're not playing a tinkerer, you're playing an orc. But for the most part, I'm not carrying barrels around. Like this is not a big part of my adventuring. Right. No. I may drag a barrel out of a dungeon, but I'm not packing up the
0: barrel. I mean, honestly, I would for, for seafaring, fresh water. Yep. Yeah, That th- it, again, this is one of those things that feels like it's more of a note for DMs than for players. Yeah. Now, the other thing
1: that you pointed out was that sacks and backpacks are both one cubic foot and 30 pounds of gear, but a backpack... Um, weighs 10 times as much and costs, oh, a shit ton more. Yeah. Right? So it's two gold pieces for a backpack, but one copper piece for a sack. I'm assuming a sack is a burlap sack. Yeah. Here's here's the benefit. Carry sacks, because they're super cheap, at one copper piece, have a couple. These, yeah. This is going to be great for looting. However, a backpack keeps your hands free, and it even has a note on it that says that you can strap items, such as a bedroll or a coil of rope, to the outside of the backpack. That's fucking useful. So while it will just hold one cubic foot or 30 pounds of gear, it'll probably hold just a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Do you want to talk about the bell and lock? Because you touched on that.
0: Sure. So um, with any of these things, uh, you can have some sort of lock. Now, the lock they present inside of D&D is very much a pad lock kind of thing. Just not the rotation style combination. No, it it, has a key. It has a key. So... um, Your standard 10 gold, 1 pound lock um, can be successfully picked by a creature proficient with Thieves Tool for a DC 15 dex check. Now, depending on the complication of that lock, the DM can, of course, decide higher or lower DCs for that. I wish it would tell you what the DC is going to be if you're not proficient with Thieves Tools. Like, if I
1: pick up Thieves Tools, because you know this will happen. The rogue fails and the bard says, get out of the way, I'll try. I've got expertise in stupid shit. Let yeah. me give this a shot with my sleight of hand.
0: I wish that they would just say, okay, so it's a DC 25 if you're not proficient. I think when we have the bound accuracy of the charts where they've given us like 5 is a trivial, 10 is a medium, 15 is yeah, yeah. a hard. So a lock is a generally hard thing to do. It's going to be a 20 to a 25 for someone. I think so. Without...
1: I, I just wish they would make it clear yeah. for what the standard is so you can kind of dick with it from there.
0: Um, also with these things, I mean... When you look at all these storage items, often, I mean, if you're going into combat wearing your backpack, you're probably doing something wrong. I, a lot of the time you get ambushed, though. Like, yes, yeah, I, I'm with you. But, um,. Put down your backpack, but make sure it has bells on it. So if someone tries to swipe it and run, you hear them jingling down the freaking forest path. I uh, I like nailing a, a piece of twine with a bell hanging off of it
1: on the top of the barrel or the top of the chest. I'm going to leave it in the back of the wagon when we go to sleep tonight. Yeah. Right? If someone messes with it, whoever's staying up on watch is going to hear the bell. Right? And then there's going to be sleight of hand checks.
0: To- bells are heavily ignored and forgotten in, in people buying uh, gear in d d but it's an it's an alarm system. I the, the hanging it off a rope And course. it's freaking cheap for what it can do. Yeah. It weighs nothing and costs a gold.
1: Yep. Yeah. So um look, we've talked about oil. We've talked now about holding fluids and whatnot. Let's let's actually talk about the liquids. Alright.
0: Um, Eighteen. You roll a lot of eighteens today, man. I am. Okay. That dice that dice treat me well. I got a twelve, so all right. Um, so first thing off the bat, I mean, a lot of these are going to be these special concoctions brewed by an alchemist or supplied by an alchemist, right? Um, first off the bat is a vial of
1: acid. So I'm sorry, before I go any further, one of the things that I sat down and did was I said, oh, you get a vial with this when I'm done with the acid. I now have a vial that's worth, oh, a gold piece. That's great. But the acid's worth 25 gold pieces. It's not, uh, this is not a factor in why I'm buying shit.
0: No, I mean, if you're going to like the crowdsourced, uh, free, open, uh, refillery thing, where you like, you can't buy shampoo unless you bring your own damn bottle. Those kind of places.
1: Hey, we don't live in communist Russia, Dan. It's literally how we do our shampoo here. You need to buy better shampoo. This is why you're bald, Dan. We, I'll, I'm going to sit down and talk to you. You know what? We'll get Terry on the phone because he had glorious hair
0: until Megan chopped it off. I have glorious facial hair. Oh, don't you even. <laughs> don't you even, bitch! <laughs> Anyways, uh, so uh, this to me is like you go to the alchemist and be like, hey, I've already got vials. Can you just top this off? Okay, yes, it's 24 gold to
1: fill up your vial. Sure, at this point, if you're getting... If you are using so much acid, you're buying it twenty five gold at a time. I'm not wasting my time around the table haggling with this shit. Hit me with midweek content. Yeah. Who is using that much acid? Who is using that much acid? Evil oh, parties. Evil parties. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm telling you. And and y- it's really simple. You just have to change their their contact solution with some acid. Ooh! Yikes! What? That, that would be painful. You just dip the end of the catheter in the acid.
0: Oh, why? Okay, know what? We need to seriously discuss what kind
1: of damage acid can do. Acid damage, as a matter of fact. That's, that's the type of...
0: How much? So, an acid... Uh, a vial of acid will... As an action, you can use the contents of the vial to splash onto a creature within 5 feet of you or throw the vial up to 20 feet, shattering it on impact. In either case, you have to make a ranged... Attack against the creature or object, treating the acid as an improvised weapon. So, On a hit, it does two d six damage.
1: So that's not nothing. Two d six is pretty powerful. Remember yeah. that was twenty feet and sixty feet for the long range, right? With an improvised thrown weapon. Yeah. So, so you can hurl this acid. Two d six damage is pretty uh pretty intense. Pretty good. Yep. Um, it's a fuck a lot better than alchemist fire, which pissed me off.
0: Oh, alchemist fire in five e is uh is a, a- pale shadow it's a dry airy fart to what it used to be
1: well it was the be all end all of of liquids of anything yeah i was i was spending my money as a wizard i was spending my money on alchemist fire and not spells Mm -hmm. not recording spells in my spell book because so the way that alchemist fire works is the moment that it touches air it ignites it's napalm it's napalm and It used to be that it could not be put out Hard stop That's in previous editions You had to magically suffocate the fire Hmm. So it's napalm However Now as an action you can throw a flask Up to 20 feet shattering it on impact You make a ranged attack against a creature or object uh, Treating the alchemist's fire as an improvised weapon again On a hit The target only So there's no splash damage anymore Which again feels shitty The target takes 1d4 fire damage at the start of each of its turns, but a creature can end this damage by using its action to make a dc10 dex check to extinguish the flames. dc10 of the most common and popular stat.
0: It went from napalm to a Molotov cocktail? Kind of, but 1d4 at the beginning of each of the turns. A Molotov cocktail made with
1: lemon cello like yeah like i feel like i'm gonna throw this at you and and you're gonna catch on fire and then megan's gonna walk over and just pat you out using her action this just sucks up someone's action for a round yeah that's all that alchemist fire does and does 1d4 which remember is an average of 2.5 fire damage fuck it i'm bored already
0: and for 50 gold this is
1: your option the thing is that you don't have to light it that's that's the fun thing about this and honestly, short of killing a commoner, I don't know. Like, this is going to be really effective against your very basic mundane beasts. Are going to be in trouble with this? Yeah, yeah,
0: that's fair. All right, moving on. We have our antitoxin vials, also fifty gold, but this one does not weigh anything, which is which is really interesting. Um, it is basically a vial of liquid that will give you advantage on saving throws against poison. All poison for one hour. It, of course, does not benefit undead or constructs because why would it they don't have yeah metabolism?
1: Honestly, and I'm going to have a poisonous rant later, um, I don't give a shit about this. Occasionally, there will be a scenario where you are going to be poisoned, and at the beginning of every turn, you've got to whatever, right? Yeah. Make the save. Probably a con save, honestly. When this happens... You quaff one of these potions and then you gain advantage on your save against it yeah. f- until you make it. I, this is so underwhelming. For 50 gold pieces, man, just just lesser arresto of me. Like, I, I,
0: well, yeah, but at the same time, like, no matter what poison you're using, this will work.
1: I know. That drives me up the fucking wall.
0: And, oh. and for play- someone who's played, like, Assassin Rogues in the past, when in my more edgier days, this makes me cry. Like, why even do poison at all when for 50... Yep. We'll talk about poison laser. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so the next one is oil. Oil tends to come in a clay flask that holds one pint. It comes in pints. Yes, we know that from all of our lanterns, yeah. right? Yeah. So that is enough for six hours in a lamp or a lantern. However, I'm going to have it burn for like a minute if you just break the flask. Yeah. Um, as an action, you can splash the oil in this flask onto a creature within five feet of you or throw it up to 20 feet. Shattering it on impact. Again, it's a ranged attack against a creature object. It's an improvised weapon. Yeah. On a hit, the target is covered in oil. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is why it's clay and not iron flasks yeah. or. Right. So. <laughs> Bonk uh, out, yeah, son of a bitch. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if the target takes any fire damage before the oil dries after a minute, then they take an additional five fire damage from
0: the burning oil. This is more than is possible from an Alchemist Fire.
1: Yeah. You can also pour a flask of oil on the ground and cover a five-foot square area, provided the surface is level. If lit, it burns for two rounds and deals five fire damage to any creature that enters the area or ends its turn in the area. I said a minute. They're saying 12 seconds. Hmm. So, I, I like this better than Alchemist Fire, I guess. Except I, I'm going to couple this with, uh, I guess, Firebolt. Yeah. Just to give it a little bit more of a punch.
0: This, this, is, this is your low-level uh, combo item. But you I'll... have your rogue throw the oil of uh, the flask of oil, and you have your wizard cast fireball to it, ignite it.
1: Yeah, uh, honestly, I'm also going to do things like uh, set up traps with a lit candle and a flask of oil above the door. Mm-hmm. Because that'll fuck you up real fast.
0: Yeah. Um, also, oil is slippery, folks. I would... In certain circles,
1: look at the grease spell for some rules.
0: Yeah, but I would use that with oil, at least a lighter version of it with oil
1: Uh, uh, on a solid,
0: waterproof surface. Yes. So uh, next um, is uh, this is for bards only, right? Bards or like nobles or maybe your one pretentious sorcerer. We're talking about your vial of perfume. For five gold, so it's not even good perfume. Um, you get a vial of perfume and uh, I don't know, plus smell like what? shitty roses and crap. I hate perfume. I used to uh do a lot of singing in chorus lines and choirs and stuff like that. And general rule never ever 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 wear perfume. I, I can't stand the stuff now. So like get deodorant, don't use perfume. There is no deodorant bars in, in fucking
1: D&D. There's so.
0: soap. Clean yourselves, you hippies.
1: Yeah, but perfume is... I think it's going to be really useful for things. And not just like nobles and stuff, but when it's time to impress the ancient dragon, they'll scent the perfumes on you. They'll know that you... you put in the effort. Yeah, I guess yeah, there's... Yeah, right? the So there's... There are some definite uses for this, but it's such fucking edge cases that I'm not... Honestly,
0: in. I would use this as a DM also because this is like if you think about what perfume is as just like an amalgamation of different scents to create a general smell. I would use this kind of price point as like hunting lures as well because you could get like things that smell like the other animals. Yeah, sure. I right. mean, that makes a certain amount of right? sense. So I, I would do the same thing. Even if the smell is horrendous to us, you want it to go get bullet urine. It's coming in vials at five gold vial. Sure. I mean, depending on the rarity. I, yeah, would, yeah.
1: I might times that by a CR
0: maybe. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, But uh, The other thing We forgot to mention Was with Alchemist Fire versus oil Is a flask of oil Is one silver piece And a flask of Alchemist Fire is 50 gold Yeah So it's 500 times the cost Yep Fucking stupid Anyway uh, The last one That's listed on the Adventure gear As far as um, Liquids go Is the basic poison You can use the poison In this vial To coat one slashing Or piercing weapon uh, Or up to three pieces Of ammunition Applying the poison takes an action, and a creature hit by the poison weapon or ammunition must make a DC-10 con save or take 1d4 poison damage. Once applied, the poison retains potency for one minute before drying. This just gives you an additional 1d4, 1D4 poison.
0: damage but for they, a minute.
1: But they get a con save. It's only a DC-10, which a lot of them are likely to make, and it's for a minute, and it takes an action to apply it. Like So you've got a little bit of prep time. When is this going to come up?
0: Uh I I honestly do find this a little useful. We have issues with poison as it is, but this uh, is I will get into it, and we'll get into it. But like, I find the basic poison useful for a first level rogue. Yeah, right. This is just going to supplement but your damage a little bit. Hundred gold pieces. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean it's hundred gold pieces because of the you know. You don't go to the general store to buy weapon poison. Sure, I get that, but for a hundred gold poison, uh, for a hundred gold pieces, it's for, weak. For one
1: d four poison, yeah, I'm not wasting my fucking time on this. Yeah. So, let's move on to things that are very specific for very specific characters.
0: Okay, yeah, let's roll the dice. I got a six. I got a five. <laughs> I'm not doing well. So, uh, for one copper piece, you buy a piece of chalk. The following items aren't necessarily going to be for every single character in the party, but some kinds of players will build a persona that will definitely benefit from having these on hand.
1: Specifically for the next section, this is all Dan shit.
0: Yes. Yeah, this is all, well, smart it's all, it's smart person shit. shit. All right. So um, I got first, so I'm going to say chalk. Yeah. Um, chalk is incredibly useful for marking direction if you're stuck in a labyrinth. For uh, dusting for prints, if you want to do that as well, crush it up to dust. Um, you could also use chalk as pocket sand if you wanted to.
1: I'm Yeah, but I'm going to say as well that if I'm going to use chalk to... Do um, rituals on the yep, ground and yep. shit and make my teleportation circles. I think that's
0: what it's more intended to be for.
1: Yep. And if I don't have chalk on hand and I'm going to use soap instead, I'm going to have you make an arcana check to see that you're doing it right because you don't have the appropriate yep, tool. That's fair. But soap is my backup if
0: I don't have chalk. Yep. And it does not get cheaper than one copper piece for a piece of chalk.
1: Yeah. And they're super light, right? So yeah. whatever. Um, I said that we're done with liquids, but we're actually not. There's ink as well. Um, and ink comes in a one ounce bottle. It's 10 gold pieces. It comes with an ink pen or yep. it should. Otherwise, you just have a 10 gold piece b- bottle of ink. Oh, man.
0: The things you could do with just a bottle of ink.
1: Oh, like there's lots that you can do with it. Um, I like putting it on the like on the ground so you can track invisible creatures.
0: Yeah, that works. I was saying uh, th- throw it at someone's face. Blind them for a round. I'd give you that as a DM. I throw ink at their face.
1: It's 2020, dude. That's not okay. Anyway, the ink pen for two copper pieces and the ink well or this one ounce bottle for 10 gold pieces. I I guess if you're writing things and you do come up with some scenarios, especially in urban campaigns. Yep. Or when you tend to split the party, right? You you want this stuff. But for the most part, one person, the wizard carries this shit. Actually, Every wizard needs to carry this Yes,
0: shit. yeah. I mean, if you're copying spells into a book, how are you doing it? Exactly. Now, that being said, there is some level of variance here with ink, because I would definitely use more expensive inks for spell casting, not just stock ink. I mean, sure, if you want to get that granular
1: into it, then go nuts. But... For the
0: higher level spells. Like, for lower level spells, sure. Like, everyone can learn how to do a freaking burning hands, but... If you're doing wish, you need some like diamond filigree in there. All right. Uh, Next is going to be a piece of paper. I guess you could go a little cheaper than paper, which of course is pulped wood, um, and get parchment. Yep. Which is going to be rougher, but two silver for a piece of paper, one silver for a piece of parchment. Do you want to know what the difference is besides that? It's quality of paper, I believe. It,
1: it yeah. is, but I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I want to cover the map or scroll case. Okay. Which is a cylindrical leather case that can hold up to 10 rolled up sheets of paper or five rolled up sheets of parchment. So Thickness. parchment is thicker. Yeah. And I bet it comes in larger um, sheets, sheets as well. Yeah. So. That's going to be kind of the difference. When you see the wanted poster, that's on parchment. When you get a letter, it's on paper. So next is going to be your sealing wax. This is why I don't include candles for that.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, ceiling wax in and of itself has this to... This is
1: for sealing things, not for the, the inside of the roof. It's yes. not ceiling wax. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, the the big thing about ceiling wax is that it is a different type of wax than a candle. A candle can work for it, ultimately. Yeah. But when you're talking about D&D candles, they're... White standard beeswax candles, maybe yellow candles. Yeah. Your great. ceiling, your ceiling wax is going to be red, blue. It's going to be whatever. Purple. It's going to be a rich color. It's going to be a rich color. It's going to have some texture to so it, and dyes it's going in it. yeah. to dry quickly. That's yeah. an
1: important part of that as well. Yeah, which is important because of your signet ring. Yeah. So I actually looked up specifically about signet rings, and um, signet rings traditionally are your own personal coat of arms or your family logo or emblem or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, But it can be anything from heraldry right down to like what job. And I actually realized that my dad has a signet ring and I've seen him wear it his entire life. And is it the thing with his initials that were on it? It's not his initials. He completed a very technical course back in the 70s. They handed out signet rings to people that completed it. Cool. Right? So it can be used for specific jobs and ranks, even depending on the culture and whatnot. So it is an identifier of who you are, but they're all personalized, at least down to a house or a rank or a job. Right? But most of them um, are. Personalized down to you specifically. But what they have is a raised part that can be pressed into wax um, or can be seen and felt by rubbing your fingers over it because it they're not cheap, right? they are five gold pieces. And uh, I mean, it's not breaking the bank, but yep. they're rare to come across and they specifically belong to people. I will have every noble have a signory.
0: Yeah. And every officer in a military as well. Yeah anyone who's writing a lot of letters back and forth that need to maintain a certain level of secrecy. Yeah, but I think that
1: that even... Not even if it's a level of secrecy, although I can see your evil Jafar having three or four different signet rings. Yeah. Right, for different clandestine issues that he's, that he's working on. But just... It's an identifier of who you are
0: and that this is an official seal from this person. Yeah. Finally is a book... Now, this is just your blanket statement for a book. It's uh 25 gold it's five pounds Uh, it's it's specifically lists in
1: the player's handbook that this is any book whether it's about history or or
0: like it's a published book it's not a blank book and it's specifically not a spell book yes and i mean that's going to be important for research but really who's spending 25 gold on a book dan dan's characters are dan's characters above level 12 yeah yeah oh no i wouldn't even go that high Six level six. You must be
1: fucking high, man. So now we we talk about all these papers and parchments and stuff, but I want to jump into the next thing, which is kind of like more smart
0: person shit. Well, it's tracking
1: and and keeping records, almost right. So, um, and you'll know what I mean when I say the first one is an abacus. Yeah, let's roll dice. Are you just gonna do? I'm just I'm just gonna go. Um, it's math shit. Yeah, it's two pounds. It's two gold pieces. You know what an abacus is. It's beads on sticks. For counting, For accounting purposes. Yeah. Yep. Um, I,
0: again, don't know why that's added. That's the DM thing, right? I, I 100% it is. Like, you go as a party and you rob the treasurer of the kingdom and you're, he's got a special made abacus with marble beads on it. Okay, well... We now know that this is going to be a... uh, It was a CR4 encounter, so it's an 8-gold item rather than a 2-gold item.
1: I also like using an abacus as a part of a puzzle. Yeah, okay. That's enchanted some way, so you have to have the right number exactly. Or, you know, it's white beads on the top and red in the middle and blue on the bottom. And you have to get it all lined up at the right way. And, like... So, there's a way to use an abacus, but this is relatively useless. I would not have...
0: I don't think I've ever had a character buy a fucking abacus. No. Um, what I have had characters buy is an hourglass, but usually in evil campaigns. Again. This is how much time you have left this to live. This is how much time this you is, have like, left to live. Tie you live. to the railroad track. Right. Now, its stock price is 25 gold for one-pound hourglass. Now, keep in mind, hourglasses of the days of yore were our glasses they track one hour they track one hour but
1: they also have with them um like markings like a measuring cup do for how much time goes by yeah
0: so um these things are not going to be like small little like monopoly level
1: Uh, this is not seconds or even minutes. it's not an egg timer
0: no this thing's thing's got some heft to it yep it's also made of fucking glass though
1: yes so uh, this is why it's so expensive Uh, It's also why a magnifying glass, which is the next thing on the list, is so expensive. About 100 gold pieces, right? This, to me, is half of a spyglass.
0: It's a tenth of a spyglass.
1: No, no, no. I don't mean a price. I mean, like, in lenses. Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So we all know what a magnifying glass is. Again, in a pinch, fire starter. With a survival check, I'll I'll, let you get away with this.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, what it does is it lets you look at closer items or it's, look at it's smaller items
1: up close. Investigative rogue, right? Other than that, I don't see a whole lot of uh, This is your last character. Lockheed, would have loved this, but the average Well, he had one. Yeah, but the average D&D party doesn't usually run with an yeah. with an hourglass
0: or with a magnifying glass. Yeah. I mean, the one thing we do have to hit is that a magnifying glass does give you advantage on any ability you check to appraise or inspect an like investigation checks. That's small enough and big enough Fit in the
1: thing, yeah. It also has rules about lighting a fire with it as well, which is what I would turn to when we remember we said we we're going to use a spyglass for that yeah. as well. Um, so it requires light as bright as sunlight and uh tinder to ignite. It also takes about five minutes for the fire is going to set. So you said, Oh, I'm going to burn through my ropes, sure. If your guard is not paying attention for five, five minutes, minutes yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and other than that, it's it's pretty straightforward. I'm not sure that I want to spend 100 gold pieces on a
0: replacement for a tinderbox. This is kind of one of the things that you spend when you just have too much money burning a hole in your pocket.
1: Yeah, or it is, like like we said at the beginning of this part, your character hinges upon this, right? Yeah. This is your style. You are a Sherlock Holmes type, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh,
0: finally, in this, in this section, we have a uh, merchant scale. Uh, this is a basically the Scales of Justice. This is two small cups on a pendulum that measure weight, um, usually up to two pounds for these, and it's just going to help you determine trade good value. If your player buys this, you are either a merchant or you are the son of a merchant, but I don't see how you're going to use this in-game. It's five gold, three pounds.
1: There's an entire table later in the section called trade goods, which tells you the cost of wheat or one chicken or cotton cloth. All the way up to a pound of platinum. Yeah. I'm Sure. Yeah. Sure. Like, you can get into that if that's your D&D party. It's not mine. <laughs> I've never seen someone whip out a merchant scale to be like, well, actually. Yeah. And if you're dealing with a rules lawyer like that, you've either agreed to it ahead of time or you have a nightmare on your hands. Um. Before we jump into the next thing, which is going to be ammo, right? Because not everybody deals with ammo, but some people do. Um, I just want to remind everyone that it takes a free hand to load a one-handed weapon, but it's considered a part of the attack now in 5th edition. Yes. Also, you can recover half of your ammo from a battlefield if you take one full minute to do so.
0: That that, that, that tracks. I, I like that a lot more than previous editions. And again, that's circumstantial
1: too. It. If I'm shooting at Aarakocra on a cliff side then maybe yeah. not so let's roll for this i got 12 i got a six damn right. tell me about ammo all
0: right so ammo is a lot of options for a lot of the same effects okay we have arrows which are going to be your main version for one gold you buy 20 arrows this does not uh necessarily come with a quiver these are four these are 20 loose arrows yep okay um, they weigh one pound and deal 1d6 or 1d10, depending on which bow it is, right? Yeah. Like, it has nothing
1: to do with the ammo itself. The ammo doesn't actually um, do any specific um, damage when it comes to arrows or crossbow. Bows. Yeah.
0: This is why one of those things that you see a lot is enchanting items, which, of course, we're going to have to talk about magic items later. But Yeah, that's a different conversation. Um, your If your bow is shooting an arrow and your bow is magic, but the arrow is mundane, then arrow gains magical properties. Yep. Anyways, moving on. Blowgun needles. Who the fuck uses a blowgun? But okay, I feel this is more for a DM. 50 needles for a gold, and they deal one piercing damage. I uh, feel
1: like you're dipping poison. Like
0: you're dipping them a yeah, poison. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, or tranquilizer of some sort. Uh, <laughs> the four darts is too much um then next you have crossbow bolts that was a ace ventura yeah no i got that um for one gold they weigh a pound and a half and they do a d6 d8 damage depending on what you're using them in
1: yeah look this is standard across the board you get 20 of whatever it is except blowgun needles because it's so little
0: yeah right? right um and then sling bullets 20 of those as well now
1: sling bullets are actually like just chunks of molten metal that have like dried. been polished down to a round. They're not necessarily round. A lot of the times, sling um, slugs used to just be kind of chunky. Whatever would come out of the out of like a blacksmith or whatnot, because you get a shit ton of these, and it doesn't matter. You're never going
0: to recover them as a general well, rule. That translates to the fact that they're for copper. Like the fact that you could pick up smooth stones on a riverside and go yeah. towards that Goliath's head. Young David, yes, right? That's where this comes from. They do a D4 damage at the end of the day, right? Now, if you're going to want to gather any of these items, you're going to need a container for them, which means you're going to need to buy either a quiver, a crossbow bolt case, or a pouch, depending on what you have, right? Of course, a quiver is going to be for your arrows, a crossbow bolt case is going to be for your crossbow bolts, and a pouch is going to be for your bullets or needles.
1: Yeah, and of course, each one of these things holds... The increment that you buy them in, right? Yes,
0: so a crossbow bolt case can only hold up to 20. A quiver can only hold up to 20 arrows. Um, a pouch can only hold 20 sling bullets or 50 needles.
1: Yeah. Now, here's something that drives me a little nuts. While it only takes one hand to load, I I can picture a pouch hanging off my belt and a quiver hanging off my back or, again, at my hip, whichever way yeah. you want to play it. But a crossbow bolt case... I feel like you need to lay down on a flat surface and open it on a horizon- on a horizontal surface and pull out a crossbow like even though it only takes one hand and it's part of your action to do it, you still gotta open the case and lay it down and like I feel like I gotta kneel.
0: Yeah, I mean that that, that
1: translates a little bit more. I, I, it's bizarre that it's not just another fucking kind of quiver. Yeah, I, I think it's just flavor. I think it right. is to talk to your DM and figure your shit out. Whatever works for you. A quiver for bolts, if that's yep. what it takes. Anyway, look, wh- now we're going to get into
0: essentially, I guess, the ammo-ish? Not really. the, the... If, if a ranger needs ammo to do damage, a arcane caster needs a focus to do their thing.
1: Yeah, look, a focus is just another way to satisfy the material component needed to cast a spell where it's required. If a spell needs a material component, you can use your focus instead. If the material component has a monetary value, for example, a pearl worth at least 100 gold pieces, then that specific material is still needed. Mm -hmm. But if you use a focus, most of the time it does not consume the material. Sometimes it does, and it says that in the spell. But let's go through the arcane foci really quickly. Foci is the official. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not focuses. It's not focuses. You f- fuck. All right. So there's a crystal, which is a literal crystal. It's not a crystal ball. This is a a like. A, it realigns a your chakra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's an orb, a rod. Dan, you're gonna giggle here, or you're gonna wait for staff or wand. <laughs> there it is. So um, the heaviest thing here is a staff at four pounds, because of course it is, ladies. Um, but. None of this stuff is necessarily expensive, but it's not cheap either. It's all in the 5 to 20 gold piece range.
0: For the most part, I see people use staves and wands. Um, I have seen one character use an orb. In my many years of playing this game, only one guy used an orb. And the reason why is he found a miniature that had an orb. And he was holding the orb up in the miniature. So he's like, my guy's got an orb. I think that's really
1: cool to do it that way. I really like the idea of... A crystal that's built into a ring
0: or an amulet, right? Or uh, you you have a crystal fucking ball. You know what the way I view this is David Bowie in Labyrinth. Yeah, he's got the uh, what is it the no contact juggling. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, that is that is what your wizard is doing with an orb as he's going if he's like a high dex wizard. I, yeah, but I I like any of him just like holding up an orb or crystal and looking through
1: it. And then casting through it, right? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. most of these spells are, you know, creatures you can see within that have them look through the orb, right? And push the magical essence in him through it. But it's so weird that wands are just arcane foci now. Uh, at a base level, yeah.
0: That's so bizarre to me. I, I don't know about that. I, I I like that idea. I mean... You do have some more magic like the wand of the war mage and stuff like that that you find that do actually enhance your spell casting. Yeah. As well as literal wands later on that have magical abilities. Just using it as a spell focus makes perfect sense.
1: Are okay, I now I make my own magic weapons or my own magic items, yeah. period, right? Are there straight up in the DMG, in the magical items list, a wand of Fireball or a wand of Cure Wounds? I believe so, yes. Okay, because that's how wands should work. It's weird that it's,
0: uh... Well, basically the thing is you get a wand of, say, Fireball. It's got seven charges on it, and you go through those seven charges. Now, if you have the ability to cast that spell, you could expend spell slots to put them back on that wand. Um, And I believe that there is a rule that if that wand, if you use all the charges on that wand at dawn uh, and you fail a roll, that wand can no longer be recharged and it is mundane.
1: Yeah. Okay, so what's interesting here is that when you get into the arcane focus blurb, it actually lists them all like, oh, you get a rod or a crystal or a specially constructed staff. But then it says a wand-like length of wood, (coughs) which gives credence to what you were saying about the idea that it's not actually a wand. A wand still holds spells. It's just a it's just a twig. Right? Yeah. And so this is meant to be the spellcasting focus for sorcerers, warlocks, and wizards. Yeah. Now, just a quick sidebar. Bards have an arcane focus that is a musical instrument. Artificers have an arcane focus. Which is their tools. Which is their artificer tools. Right? And of course, you can load magic effects into items under some rules so yeah so anyway but that's it for arcane
0: foci well let's move on to the divine focus and that is our holy symbols um this comes in the form of an amulet an emblem or a reliquary now i had to look up what a reliquary was yeah a reliquary is basically a little container that holds a relic inside
1: yeah the ones that i saw were like um like almost cubes Uh, That were made of of metal, but like thin wire around just the edges and then glass sides so that you could see a scroll or
0: a chunk of rock or Um, whatever. uh, I've seen smaller ones that are like fingernails or literal nails or whatever they are. Uh, Chunks of wood, rocks, various things of importance to whatever the religion is. Um, Emblems, of course, are literally just... This is the kind of thing that's emblazoned on a tabard on your character. You tend to get them engraved
1: or sewn in, or they're
0: they're in some way, shape, or form uh, emblematic and and they they uh, show on the character's dress. Yeah, and an amulet is literally something hanging around their neck that they'd lift up to show that has. The think whole of, the of a symbol. crucifix, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Now, a holy symbol is a good representation of a god or a pantheon. Pantheons list the symbols commonly associated with the many gods um, in the multiverse. A cleric or a paladin is going to use a holy symbol for a lot of their spellcasting focus. Um, And to use the symbol in this way, a caster must hold it in its hand, wear it visibly, or bear it with a shield, which is how you have your... Uh, paladins being able to cast their smites and stuff with just the logos of their pantheon.
1: I, or Oath of Devotion. I like right? just wear it visibly. I don't mind having the holy symbol be carved ornately into the hilt of the
0: sword. No, I don't mind that either.
1: Right. Or, you know, emblazoned on the forehead of the of the helm, right? Like, I, I'm not sure I'm casting magic missile out of my forehead, but, you know,
0: it, it invokes an image. What was that, the third d movie? The guy had, like, a big, like, cross painted on his face? There are three D&D movies. Oh, there's like five. Oh, shit. I and they're making a sixth. I just don't care. It's got Chris Pine in it. I still don't
1: care. Okay. Um, I, If I can be honest, my favorite thing that I've ever seen as far as emblems go were when I had um, carvings and engravings along my teeth. So I would smile and say the words and cast with my mouth. Because you can't get rid of my holy symbol then. Cool. Yeah. Um, would, would you let it be a tattoo? Yeah. yeah if
0: it was visible. Yeah, like on the palm of a hand, maybe. Oh, that would be badass. I, I still like the idea of like the... It's literally tattooed on their face and they just pull off their helmet and it's there. There's a big old dick. I was going to go with...
1: Fertility God. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, for a druidic focus, this is, it still could be a wand... Um, but it says specifically that it would be like a U wand. Uh, that's Y-E-W, not Y-O-U. It's a type of
0: wood. Yeah. Um, uh, that has a lot of significant druidic, like ancient druidic lore. Yeah. Celtic druidism uses U as a special type of wood. Same with uh, well, hemlock.
1: It, it's because these woods are very pliable and and um, they're strong, but they will actually bend and move yeah. instead of just break and splinter. Yeah. Um, you can also use a sprig of mistletoe or holly. Because I'm the ghost of Christmas present, apparently.
0: Uh, well, uh, holly and mistletoe also do represent the life of nature. So it, it trash. Sure, but why those specific... Like, okay, fine. You Grab can, an
1: oak leaf and smack someone across the face with it. I just feel like it drew it. It's nature stuff. And
0: like a wooden staff as well. Grab a maple leaf, hit them across the face, Come, to take and, off, eh?
1: And then to... to Make it even more so, like, just whatever you want it to fucking be for a druid. It can be a totem, which can be feathers and fur and bones and teeth that are mashed together to build a little figure of what... Like, I just... Uh, Druids get to be weird. Embrace the weird. Yeah, and I feel like they really phoned it in because it can be fucking anything. So, I guess if you wanted a specific you wand, it's going to be ten gold pieces, but a... Uh, A totem is only
0: one gold piece because it's going to be a bunch of shit that we found on the side of the room. Honestly, I I look at the druidic focus list here as someone who's not a druid getting swindled on a market. Sure. Right? A druid's going to make their
1: own. Now, I got a couple of of issues. First of all, you'll notice that the druidic staff is a wooden staff, it's called, and it's five gold pieces. Um, and so is the um, arcane staff as well. Okay. Okay. And they're both four pounds. A quarter staff is absolutely neither of those things. A quarter staff is two silver pieces. Yep. Right. It's still four pounds, but it is a versatile weapon. The idea of Gandalf bonking you on the head is not a fucking thing in D&D. If you want to use your focus as a melee weapon, it's an improvised weapon. And I'd be really fucking careful about using your your staff for that. Yeah. All right? I do not recommend thinking that this is a quarter staff. It is specifically not. Yeah. Um additionally, did you pick out what's missing on this fucking list? Eldritch Knights, Arcane Tricksters and all fucking Rangers? None of them are able to use a focus of any kind, which means Rangers have to
0: use the spell components. All Rangers. That, uh, you know what? I'm completely okay with that because it makes sense that they would go hunting for their spell components.
1: Sure, but they're not going to get a hundred or a thousand gold piece pearl, right? Out in the woods. Or like,
0: there with are the, different the, rangers <laughs> from different lands. A wizard would have to find a thousand gold piece pearl, pearl as well. Right. Right. But then his doesn't get consumed. Unless the spell says it does.
1: Right, but if, if you... Okay, if there's no monetary... A um value assigned to it if it's just like whale teeth. Yeah, a wizard doesn't need the whale teeth. No, but, but a- your ranger in the desert is expected to just find them. Yeah, or buy them. Wizards got shafted. Rangers
0: got shafted. I'm this. sorry.
1: Yeah, rangers got shafted on yep. this. Right, and so, and Eldritch Knights
0: and Arcane Tricksters, and sure... I'd- I view Eldritch Knights and Arcane Tricksters, yeah, it makes sense. They're just like those classes with a little bit of magic. But the way the flavor of those classes comes across is they're very wizardy. I would give it to them.
1: Yeah, well, frankly, I would give a druidic focus to a ranger.
0: Yeah, I would be okay with that too. Yeah,
1: they're specifically not listed, and
0: I think that's criminal. My my whole problem with the Arcane Focus is um, I like the material component search. I like that narrative flavor of the game. It can bog you down though. It can bog you down, but if if you work it out it's great. So I would like to see these arcane focuses give you something Foci. luck. <laughs> I'd like to see these arcane foci give you some sort of mechanical boon to use them more than just you don't have to worry about material components because an arcane foci or sorry, an arcane focus Negates material components, unless there's a, a unless there's a coin value to it. Yeah. Which I mean, then sure. Why not just?
1: Which is fucking ridiculous because there's a coin value to goddamn mistletoe
0: on the druidic focus. Uh, anyways, yeah. Anyways, yeah. You know. Next thing is going to be the items that every single spellcaster is going to need along mm. the way. You're gonna find this in every magic shop. Yeah. yeah. So let's.
1: You threw your uh, your die. Okay. Here, I got a eighteen. Ah, six. Component pouch. We're going to start with that. 25 gold pieces for a component pouch.
0: Uh, just get an Arcane Focus. You don't need it.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a money value to it, right? A pouch costs five silver pieces. A component pouch costs 25 gold pieces. But it specifically says that a component pouch is different because they're small, watertight leather belt pouches on a, a proper belt that has different components for the different material components and other special items that you'll need to cast your spells. So this acts as a bit of a holster for your wand yeah. and shit too. If there's a cost to the component, it will not be included in the uh oh in the component, component pouch. pouch. You're right. So what you do is you buy a component pouch and you just
0: have a bunch of shit that you can cast. With. So if you don't have an arcane focus, an arcane focus, sorry. So an arcane focus functions Exactly like a component pouch, except a component pouch eventually runs out, runs out arbitrarily. Again, this is, this is kind of a hand-waving to an annoying bookkeeping part of the game. Because 5e wanted to lower that uh, entrance uh, difficulty. And it makes sense, but it, it makes me a little sad. Also, why is
1: this waterproof, but the other one isn't? A regular pouch? Uh, because some components are liquids. Sure, that's great. I'm gonna go spend. I'm gonna walk into a magic shop and be like, "Hey, um, can you give me uh
0: for twelve gold pieces an empty component pouch?" Yeah, sure. No, and I'm on, I'm on board with that plan too. Yeah. Uh, next is going to be another uh, flask of liquid, Adam. There's more. There's always more liquid. But this is a flask of water. Specifically Damn. the holy type of Damn. water. I'm moving on through that. There's, I'm not giving you the opportunity. It's 25 one gold. Liquid. And there's one, and it weighs one pound. As an action, you could splash the contents of this flask onto a creature within five feet of you. Or throw it up to 20 feet, shattering it on impact. So it's not a flask?
1: It's like a clay flask, like, like the, uh,
0: the oil was. Alright. Um, in either case, make a ranged attack against the target... Um, it's an improvised weapon. If it is a fiend or undead, it takes 2d6 radiant damage. But only a fiend or undead. Yeah. A cleric or paladin can create holy water by performing a, spectral, a special ritual, which takes an hour to perform and uses 25 gold worth of powdered silver and requires the caster to expend a first level spell slot.
1: Is that listed in the class features anywhere no no you gotta read this to find you out you have a
0: special ritual that yep all right fine yep Fuck i you, mean there is a handbook. spell i believe that creates holy water as well that clerics get access to but eh.
1: but also this apparently.
0: yeah so i'm gonna move along to potion of healing oh this
1: is a nice easy subject that will cause no debate a character who drinks the magical red fluid in this vial regains 2d4 plus two hit points Drinking or administering this potion, you don't have to drink it, you can pour it on a wound, takes an action. 50 gold pieces, half a pound. 50 gold pieces is not nothing. That is not cheap. Nope. For 2d4, 2d4 plus 2. Maximum
0: 10 hit points.
1: Yeah, between 4 and 2 hit points. Womp
0: womp. Yeah, I'm not wowed by this shit at all. I mean, I look at it as Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition in that act of lowering the gate has made it far more of a lower magic kind of campaign setting. That's what right? Forgotten Realms, though. That's what the Forgotten, that, Realm that's, is for. that's Forgotten Realms is for. So you see things like magic items are going to be a whole lot more rare and potions of healing aren't alchemical creations. Really? They I, I'm sorry. Are. No,
1: no, 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 no. I understand. Uh, look, I'll get into it. But fuck you, Wizards, for this. Because you make me spend 50 gold pieces on this shit when a short rest just somehow magically lets me recover every one of my hit points. Uh, if you had spend the hit dice to do it. Sure. If I get a good sleep... If I tweak my back at work and then I go sleep for eight hours, I wake up with a sore fucking back. I did not recover my hit points overnight. <laughs> the, the rest mechanic is great... But it falls apart when it comes to potions of healing.
0: Next and finally is going to be the spell book. This is 50 gold and 3 pounds. It's essential for wizards um, and some warlocks. I would even say some clerics require like a holy text that I would use the price of a spell book for. Um, That is a leather bound tome with 100 blank vellum pages suitable for recording spells fuck is vellum? Uh it's sheepskin. Sheepskin? Yeah. Cool. So it's it's slightly more durable than paper, but it's um this is the thing that I think a lot of wizards overlook when they build their character. You I, don't get your spellbook for free. You buy it.
1: I also kind of want to point out that you don't get to have a spellbook that you are reading out of and an arcane focus and a shield. You have spellbook in one hand, focus in the other. And it's kind of bullshit that wizards can't use a spellbook as a focus.
0: Yeah. Doesn't it feel a little strange? I mean, I know warlocks with, when they go back to the tome, their their book of ancient shadows or whatever it is, gives them some sort of bonus in that regard. Yeah. But yeah, no, books should be arcane focuses. Foci, fuck Dan, you're going to kill me on this. But yes, you're right.
1: Focuses? Focices? foc Okay. You fuck off. (laughs) All right. So, I mean, that's the magic stuff. The other thing that people are always asking us to get into is tools and kits. Yeah. I'm just going to quote the fucking book. Okay. And then we'll go through the ones that they list really quickly. Yeah. Okay. So here's what it says in the player's handbook. A tool helps you do something you couldn't otherwise do, such as craft or repair an item, forge a document, or pick a lock. Your race, class, background, or feat gives you proficiency with certain tools. Proficiency with the tool allows you to add your proficiency bonus to any ability check you make using that tool. Tool use is not tied to a single ability. Single proficiency with the tool represents broader knowledge of its use. For example, the DM might ask you to make a dexterity check to carve a fine detail with your woodcarver's tools or a strength check to make something out of a particularly hard wood. Sorry, I was holding on that one for a while. I could jump on the end of it. Yeah. Or a strength check to make something out of a particularly hard wood. So, tools are the are these things that I've always looked at them like, you know, uh, sure, I get proficiency with thieves' tools. It's half as good as a sleight of hand proficiency. Yep. But it's actually different because you can do things like, Set traps with Thieves' Tools. You can also use Thieves' Tools as an Artificer Focus. Yep. I don't know why you have Thieves' Tools necessarily, but there's a lot of different ones that are listed here. Let's, uh, let's grab dice, Dan. We're going to go through these relatively quickly, but I've got a couple of... Okay. Sticky points. Three. Oh, another natural 20. That's two for me. You roll out 18s, but I'm just critting. So, Artisan's Tools... These are things that you need in order to craft things or, you know, you're working in a specific trade. Um, there's a bunch that are, lifted here, are listed here. There are a bunch that are listed here on page 154 yep. of the player's handbook. Um, and these are common ones, but you can make whatever one that you want. Proficiency with a set of Artisan's tools lets you add your proficiency bonus to any ability checks you make with the tools Using your craft. It has to be related to your specific craft. Okay. Okay. Uh, Each type requires a separate kind of proficiency with a separate set of tools. So, um, alchemist supplies, brewer supplies, calligrapher supplies. um, And it goes through the list. Glassblower's tools stood out to me because I
0: think, as we've seen with glass so far in this episode, you may get rich doing that. Uh Uh-huh. It's also one of the most expensive Toolkits out there, just behind Alchemist, which I mean, you could use Alchemist supplies to make potions and make things, and Tinker's tools, which small mechanical gizmos,
1: right? Yep. Now you can do. There's stuff for jewelers and leather workers, painters, potters, smiths, of course. Yep. A wood carver, which I which I mentioned already, but like, it's neat that you get all these different options. I wish that they would have jobs be a fucking factor.
0: Yeah, more I,
1: than just kind of a fart in the wind that they are. It needs to be a variant rule available in the DMG somehow about how much money you make in whatever pro- like profession. And I sure as a as a glassblower. Look, I was in uh, Venice, Italy, and I had the opportunity to go into a shop that sold blown glass, and they actually pulled me in behind and showed me the uh, how to actually blow glass. And I got to do it. Hmm. Um, this is years ago, and I had a blast doing it, but it is not fucking easy. And they've got some crazy tools to be able to do it, but you need an oven that is so damned hot that is probably not listed here. Well, it's the thing like Smith's tools. You're not carrying a forge around with you. Yeah, you don't have an anvil, right? Yeah. And, and yet, painters. Unless tools, you're a cleric of the anvil. Painters' tools, however. Yeah. Right you very much are probably carrying an easel with you. Mm-hmm. So not all of these these are created equally. And you can't just sit down with mason's tools and I'm just going to carve something. I mean, like, I, I guess you could. Are you using
0: carvers or uh, are you using masonry tools to do little statues? Uh, well, a mason is someone who lays brick more than anything else, right? So they're going to What have- about a smith tool? A Smith tool is going to be hammers, files. So that one's for making little sculptures. Uh, honestly, depends on what the material is. I would say a. I'm talking. I'm talking like out of marble. Uh, out of marble. Uh pff, I would no. I would be a. Uh, if anything, maybe a potter. On no, because potter is going to be literally dealing with clay. Yes, but if you're making a little like a chisel and. Like a chisel Look, and a hammer. I'm making. My uh, point is, I'm making my own sculpture tools. Yeah, like yeah, my own
1: right. kit for this. All right, what's next?
0: Next, we have uh, the disguise kit.
1: Right on This the, one's pretty straightforward. I see this a lot in D and D. There are always rogues and bards that pick this up and never use it.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, basically, what it is is a little little pouch full of uh, makeup and hair dye and small little props like fake mustaches or contact lenses or fake nose prosthetics that give you the ability to change your physical appearance um uh, they're gonna let you use your proficiency like we mentioned to change your uh, facial features does this allow you to change what race that you are pretending to be within reason the halfling doesn't become a goliath halfling doesn't become a goliath no one
1: becomes an aracocra
0: dwarf doesn't become a human
1: i mean i could you can make an argument that if they get like lifts in their shoes and stuff and they shave their beard So a
0: dwarf doesn't become a human. No, but uh, but yes, like a half elf can become an elf,
1: can become a human. Sure, but do you get tiefling horns? Yeah, yeah. I would say I would
0: say it's restricted to. You could make a relative look
1: like a dragonborn if no one's looking too close. Yeah,
0: it's got to make some sense. This is not magical disguise. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, The next
0: one is a forgery kit.
1: Uh, now, one of the actual tools that I mentioned before with the artisan's tools is calligraphy supplies. So these are not the same thing. No, A forgery kit is a small box that contains a variety of papers and parchments, pens and inks, seals and sealing wax, gold and silver leaf, and other supplies necessary to create convincing forgeries of physical documents. Yep. Proficiency with this kit lets you make a proficiency bonus um, whenever you are creating a physical forgery of a document, this is so specific, I've never seen it picked up. But it's always kind of in everyone's
0: periphery. There's, but, in any long game, one person is going to attempt to forge a thing. And the amount of times I've seen a DM just hand waving, ah, just give me a performance or give me a... So uh, uh, masterminds and inquisitives.
1: The, these are the rogues that are going yeah. to get this, yeah. right?
0: Uh, Next on the list are your gaming sets. These are your dice, your dragon chest, your three dragon anti set, your playing card sets. Um, Note that none of these are the fake dice set. This is a legitimate gaming set. Yeah. Now, the thing about these is uh, this is one of those wizards giving us several different examples and then expecting us to be able to extrapolate beyond there with them. Um, But each Type of gaming set requires its own proficiency. Yeah. You don't have a pr- proficiency in all gaming sets, period. You have proficiency in dice. You have proficiency in cards, etc. etc.
1: Yeah. I mean, the poker masters and chess masters do yeah. not, you know, operate the same circles.
0: The one thing I would like to say is Three Dragon Ante is an actual game that they have produced that you could go buy the cards to play Three Dragon Ante. I've played it. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, cool. And I recommend it if you're having a slow gaming night.
1: Um, I would also like to try dragon chess. I hope it's more than just chess with dragon carved pieces. I hope it's like 3D chess, like in Star Trek. Yeah, I hope it's something like that. Yeah. Um, All right, next on the list is the Herbalism Kit. This is the one that people pick up the most. Yep. This kit contains a variety of instruments, such as clippers, mortar and pestle, and pouches and vials, used by herbalists to create remedies and potions. Proficiency with this kit lets you add your proficiency bonus to any ability checks you make to identify or apply herbs. Also, proficiency with this kit is required to create antitoxin and potions of healing. Does that mean that anyone with this kit can make a potion of healing?
0: If they have proficiency with
1: it. No, it grants proficiency if, you use the, if you're use if you proficient with it, And you're making a potion of healing, then you will add proficiency with it. If you're making a potion of healing without it, you don't get
0: proficiency. Who gets to make a potion of healing? Someone who is proficient at herbalism kits.
1: Not necessarily. That's not the way that it's laid out. That is not how that that sentence is, is built. This does not say you can, anyone with this can make a potion of healing. This says if you are making a potion of healing and you have an herbalism kit, you will add your proficiency bonus to making a potion of healing. Because fucking potions of healing. I went down a fucking rabbit hole with this. How the fuck do you craft a potion of healing? Okay, so here's the story, right? First of all, the info is contradictory and nonsensical. And you need to be clear with your dungeon master about what source material you're allowed to use at your table. Different books say different things, so buckle the fuck up. The crafting rules say that you can only make non-magical items and the description under Potion of Healing directly calls it a magical fluid. Therefore, no, you can't do it. The player's handbook, though, clearly lists it with regular adventuring gear, giving the impression that it is a common item that adventurers and average citizens can get their hands on. Because of their commonality and the fact that anyone with an herbalism kit can apparently make one based on your translation of the rule... Even if they have no access to magic, the standard crafting rules should be fine in theory. But if you're trying out the starter set and don't use the player's handbook, then in that rule set, they're magical potions and can't be crafted. If you play by Adventure League rules though, then you're expected to treat them as magical items with special rules about how common and easy they are to purchase. But because they're magic, you can't craft them by the standard PHB rules. Now, I don't normally promote the usefulness of the Dungeon Master's Guide because I find it to be messy and largely worthless for the kind of games that I run. But we do get some answers in here. About A, how the rarity affects how powerful the potion is. And B, how much time and money they would actually take to brew them. This is also based on rarity. So, Mm -hmm. therefore, by these rules, you need 100 gold pieces in 4 days. And you need to be level 3 or higher with available spell slots In order to brew it. Okay. Alright, you following me so far? Yep. Okay, because in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, there's a handy section on downtime activities, and it lists crafting specifically focusing on potions of healing in particular. First of all, the book directly acknowledges that this is separate from other magical crafting. A normal, common potion of healing actually takes one day to make and costs 25 gold pieces. After that, it takes... One work week... Three work weeks... Or four work weeks... For the next tiers of potions... Yep... Um, With the respective prices being... A hundred gold pieces... A thousand gold pieces... And ten thousand gold pieces... I'm not sure I'm ever going to spend... Ten thousand gold pieces... And four weeks... To get the... Freaking top tier healing potion... When I can just go to sleep for eight hours... Yep... So I'm just not sure it's worth it... But then... If you have Eberron... Rising from the last war... Or Tash's Cauldron of Everything... Then you might be looking at the Artificer and maybe even the Alchemist and then you could be waiting for me to expound some deeper wisdom about it and if that's the case then you can listen to our episode on Artificers because (laughs) all these fucking rules have gone right out the window and nothing makes fucking sense anymore. So, depending on your source material you may end up with different crafting rules specifically for potions of healing. Players need to talk to the DMs and DMs have to communicate with your players and stay consistent. Yep. And for the love of God, don't go out there and try to break your DMs in world economy because you can make one for 25 gold pieces and buy one for 50 gold pieces. It's not worth it anyway considering the crazy amount of time it takes. So let's just fucking move on. Don't mess with the economy. Don't sell healing potions. If you're going to get into the herbalism kit and making it, you have to be a spellcaster and it takes time and gold to do it. Yep more than you probably want to do if you are a spell cast, i mean this is for arcane spellcasters because anyone with the divine spellcasting list has cheaper ways to heal
0: yeah i would say as a pro tip to any and every group out there because of how muddy just crafting is in D 5e because again we've mentioned several times in this episode already they've lowered that gate of entry yeah right Part of the things sacrificed was the clarity that previous editions gave on the crafting systems. Which were complex. Which were complex in and of themselves, right? Like When it comes to crafting magic items, you really start to have to debate where the base level of magic in your world is and how available these items are and then adjust the cost there. It's messy. It's hard to do. So please, if you're planning out your own homebrew world, put it inside of a freaking session zero. Here's how potions of healing work, and here's how they're made, and yep. move on. Yep. Right? And that's just how it is for the parties moving on. Personally, I hate potions of healing, as they are in the uh, player's handbook, as they are straight up in uh, D&D 5e. I like our homebrew version of potions of healing, which use your hit dice.
1: Yeah, you it's your hit dice plus
0: your constitutional modifier yeah per level of the spell right yeah. or the, of the potion of healing yeah and yes give me more reason to use my hit dice it is a mechanic in the game it needs to be put to work more this is an avenue for it do it so that's my it also balances the playing field between wizards and barbarians a potion
1: of healing healing a wizard so much more by percentage. Yeah, of of damage. Like uh, anyway, anyway, I'm done ranting. Let's move on to the next fucking thing.
0: Okay, next on the thing is musical instruments.
1: Um, Do we really like? Yes, you get proficiency with your performance check.
0: Yeah, pretty much, right. And it, it's just your type of musical instrument. Now, as a musician, that list should be bigger. But this is another one of those things. Wizards gave you a list to generate ideas. And is expecting from you there. to expound upon
1: it. Yep. And if you're going to be a bard that uses one of these instruments as your arcane focus, just personalize the instrument. Don't just say, it's a drum. Make it yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next up is navigator's tools. This is specifically for like seafaring adventurers. Um, proficiency with these tools lets you chart a ship's course, follow navigation charts, it also lets you um add your proficiency bonus to avoid getting lost at sea. I would even say that for me, I would let you read star charts.
0: 100%. Like this and the problem is you have compasses, you have spyglasses that are so expensive and necessary for it that aren't involved here, yep. right? So this is this is straight up just going to be like a sextant and a couple Rulers,
1: yeah, a, a, a compass, but, but like a like a, at a protractor, yeah, right, yeah. like, um, and charts, yeah. So, so
0: yeah, following star charts, tracks. I'm
1: going to make you pick up these navigators tools, and you may have to go through a couple of hoops to jump through in game to gain proficiency with this before you board your ship in tier three to go wage war on the other continent. Yeah, right. So. Uh,
0: next on the list, Adam, is your poisoners kit. Uh,
1: I'm going to swap with you. You can do the last one because I'm going to take poisoners because I have, again, what done Thank a Thank
0: you. Ball. You have thieves tools. Guess what thieves tools do? They help you thieve things. Adam?
1: Uh, no, it's, it's, it's more than that. <laughs> yeah, it okay? is.
0: I mean, you could, they come with a set of lock picks, a small mirror ma- mounted on a metal handle, uh, to see around things, uh, that you would not I necessarily Like be able a dentist to see. mirror, yeah. right? Um, It also comes with a pair of narrow-bladed scissors to cut small wires or small uh, strings. And a pair of pliers to, of course, bend things out of the way if you need it. Proficiency lets you uh, disarm traps or open locks. Or, in my opinion, create traps. As a matter of fact, that is in the Rogue
1: uh, class breakdown. Your Thieves' Tools lets you set traps. Yeah. Now, the hunting trap that we talked about before, the big-ass bear trap... Anyone can do that. But we're talking about like the crazy cobalt trap that you With disarmed. That? Yeah. You're able to to take them, the components from and rebuild.
0: Yeah. Okay, hey, right. Adam. All right, Poisoner's so. kit.
1: So setting aside my gripes about how mismanaged poisons are, because my rants are on record about a dozen fucking times at this point, let me just point out that the DMG is the place to go for info on making poisons. But here are five things that you should be aware of, though, when it comes to poisons in 5th edition. One, there are four different ways for a poison to be administered. Contact, ingestion, inhalation, and injury. Contact is just by touching it. Yep. Ingestion is by eating it. Inhalation is by breathing it in. And injury is if it enters your bloodstream. Each poison has one delivery method only and has to be applied in that specific way. So not all poisons are created equally. And just because you dip your darts... Into a poison. If it needs to be inhaled and you shoot someone with a blow dart, that poison's not going to take hold. No. If you're going to enter the idea of poisons into this game, your DM might get a little noodly with this. Communicate. Additionally, they're expensive as hell. The cheapest one listed is 150 gold pieces. It's 100 for the basic poison in the player's handbook. Yeah. But all of the other ones in the DMG with specific... Um, consequences of them and different mechanics about them the cheapest is 150. okay the most expensive is 2000 gold. Pieces. jeez that puts us completely out of the financial range for most parties. Poison is the most common resistance and immunity for monsters in the game so there will be large swaths of monsters that you just can't infect including all constructs all undead and a healthy helping of fiends. Plus, there's a shit ton of monstrosities on top of that. Yep. So, it's not even that effective. And usually, the damage is in the range of
0: D4s and D6s. Poisons are for entry campaigns. Yep,
1: yeah, but not when they're that expensive. That's true, too. Antitoxin is the only kind of antidote listed, so it appears to work on all poisons. Yep. Additionally, every type of sample poison comes with a constitution saving throw to mitigate the effects. But by the time you can afford to spend money on poisons... The enemies you'll be facing will likely be able to make the saves because they're not incredibly high. The like, I think the highest one's a seventeen. Oh no, they they get higher than that. But like the lowest one is like a twelve or a thirteen. Like it's yeah easy. It's, yeah, it's complicated to use poisons. Not only do you need a poisoner's kit to craft a basic potion by using the crafting rules in the PHB, but you need to use it uh, a herbalism kit in order to harvest some of the pieces to make it or poisoners get to harvest the poisons that are come naturally as like toxins yeah, and, yeah, yeah. in a creature right as long as within a certain time frame as well because you only have I think it's a, a minute um by the rules to harvest it after the after the creature dies and on top of that you have to succeed on a pretty difficult uh nature check in order to get it and who puts ranks into nature not rogues. Well, uh, I guess there's no ranks, but nobody's choosing nature proficiencies. Yep. Right. I don't recommend attempting this if you tend to roll ones. Because even though the consequences aren't specifically laid out in the source material, most dungeon masters will absolutely penalize you for fucking about with such a persnickety and poorly thought out part of the game. Because these mechanics are bullshit. And if you want to start dicking around with poisons that are doing constant damage over many rounds, and you have... Had his big bad guy go down on round three, you know, at the end of tier one, like shit like that. And then you botch a poison roll later. He is going to poison you. Unfortunately, like swimming, flying, drowning, crafting, and overland travel, poisons are underdeveloped with poor mechanics in fifth edition. And I just don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but if you want to point a spotlight on them, you're going to need to work with your DM or your players... And find a happy homebrew balance because it's kind of bullshit. Yeah, the poisoners kit I understand, but it's not—it's really not useful. Not—not not really. I know why you want to do it. You want to Assassin's Creed your way through shit. Yeah, it's the game is not built for it. No, it really isn't. Stealth, as much as it—it's stealth versus passive perception for sneaking. I mean, you've—you got to go hunting to find to the edder cap to find details about how to even use a Garote yeah this is not a you are not solid snake i'm sorry there are games out there that'll let you do that it's just not D
0: 5e has not been for yeah. that. and i mean if you do want to play that kind of D D 5e game uh, homebrew your homebrew blinded. it yeah. and set it up in a session zero
1: and let me know because like i'm intrigued to see how other people are doing it because the shit that we've been given is lackluster at best
0: it's yeah it's half cocked yeah anyways guys we got one more topic here before we wrap up if you've been listening intently you will have noticed that there are things missing from the lists of items that we've gone over and some glaring omissions let's grab the dice let's try to come up with a couple that we would add sure things that are going to be
1: really useful that i've seen in my own campaign yeah right uh what you got a? I i got a seven all right you go first
0: twine yeah I want that smaller form of string or twine or, or like that smaller... F- I want 200 feet of it. Yeah, right? On a little um, spool. It, it makes no sense to me that we go from 50 feet of rope to an indeterminate amount of fishing line and fishing tackle.
1: Yeah, and also don't get me started on how we have special fucking cable for blocking tackles. Yep. And that's the only mention of it and we don't of have access cable, to cable and there's
0: no details of what... Yeah what high-density airline cable we're carrying around. Exactly. Yeah, like, c-
1: come on. You're, you're Stop fucking around here. Okay, what do you got? All right. The number one thing that I think of is pocket sand. Yep. Pocket sand is great. And for those of you wondering what pocket sand is, it is literally sand that you pick up and put in your pocket so that you can take a free hand and toss it in someone's face. And my homebrew rule is that'll blind them for one round, which will just give them disadvantage On their next attack. Yeah, blind
0: is a fairly weak condition in in this game.
1: Yeah, and so it's just going to give them disadvantage on their next action, right? And they're going to be able to blink it off. Uh, I usually give them a basic deck save, but I tend to err on the side of favor for for the players, right? So it's like a DC 20 deck save because no one's expecting, ha ha, sand, right? (laughs) However, also, if you start to abuse this, then remember that your DM will start to play with pocket sand as well. And so blinding shit is a little it can be useful it can be a lot of fun it can be interesting don't lean on it but keeping sand in your pocket is relatively useful keeping a pouch of sand
0: is even more useful
2: Mm -hmm.
0: um in our gripes about alchemist fire and poisons and things like that i want to see more alchemy low level concoctions potion making whatever it is that are far more mundane i want to see alchemist frost i want to see alchemist thunder like we've had in previous editions where are my thunderstones where are my smokesticks I'll, I'll tell you where i keep my thunderstone i don't need to know oh yeah but and I, you should see a doctor isn't that stuff in the dmg it's mostly in the dmg some of it is some of it's not some of it's just blatantly omitted from the game So I want to see more of that kind of uh, freaky deaky alchemy level stuff. It's weird that Alchemist Fire and Healing Potions made it onto this list. Alchemist Fire purely because they're iconic to cater to guys like us who are veterans in the game and thus expect Alchemist Fire to do a lot. But then when we actually as veterans look at it and it just falls flat... Yeah, but it should have been over with the magic items in, it should have been, DM, yeah. in
1: the DMG, right? Like, I just, I don't know why it's on this list here. I, I guess it's just so common
0: for anybody able to get their hands on it. I think it's the perspective of whether or not an alchemist fire is a magical item. It's alchemy. It is literally magic.
1: That is what alchemy is. Uh,
0: it's special cooking. Okay. But, like... It's magical cooking. It's that step in between. Like, it could go either way. Yeah, I know. Look, I know.
1: Fuck, I know. I just, like... I hear what you're saying. It's just weird that it ended up here among hammer and shovel. Yeah, right. So, um, I want people to be picking up pebbles more often. You should always have about five pebbles in your pocket. And my reasoning for this is because... I don't need to cast minor image if I can throw a pebble down the hallway to distract the guards. Mm. Or like you said, the ball bearings tink it off a window. Sure, I can go out and I can buy the ball bearings. I can spend the money on a thousand ball bearings. It's not a big deal. But pebbles are free, friends. (laughs) Right? And in the same vein, I'm talking small stones and rocks as improvised weapons for bludgeoning purposes or for throwing at somebody's head. Or just for knocking the bard off the stage Because that guy's just been up there too long Whatever it is Look around and pick this shit up It is bizarre to me that we have With Thieves Tools The ability to set all these little traps and whatnot But nobody's really talking about how we're setting up um, Like little nature snares and stuff Rangers should have it built in that they can do this But everyone should have a basic idea of how to capture an animal with a simple trap yeah that doesn't break their fucking leg right which is what the hunting trap does do you have anything else
0: uh yeah I've got one more thing and this is just uh it's a little finicky thing but why don't we have like glasses and hearing horns and wheelchairs and stuff like they that they have prosthetic in here? limbs and everon right that should be here man like you a hook hand and shit? Yeah, right? I want to see these interesting prosthetics, interesting things that could help uh, you play characters trying to overcome some sort of um, physical disability or detriment as well, right? So um, we're trying to play a very inclusive game. There's been a real real recent push for uh, heroes in wheelchairs, and I love it. I absolutely do. I'd love to see more of that here or in a DMG or in another product coming out sometime soon.
1: Okay. My, my last thing is a little bit more mechanical. It's a little bit more traditional. You should be carrying a pouch of um, flour, like baking flour. Okay. Or ash. Yeah. Okay. And this is to find invisible people. When a creature turns invisible and you just toss this in the air, it'll land on. You don't want to waste your ink on it. This is great. Throw it down on the ground so that they've got to leave footsteps. Right, this is a great way for you to tell if someone's been dicking around in your space yeah. when you didn't want to when you didn't want anyone to be there, right? So, um, honestly, there are all sorts of unique and interesting items that people can can grab. I would like to hear what other people use. Um, hit us up on Reddit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and let's start a let's start a conversation about what unique mundane items you've used to great effect. Um, and we're at r slash it's a mimic. I mean, yeah. We say it in every episode, but but it's really important that people start thinking outside the box because we don't look at these things like the fact that you can use an iron pot that's ten pounds as a bludgeoning weapon. Yeah, right. Or the idea of using um, ball bearings in unique ways and caltrops as well against slithering creatures. How they may affect creatures in different ways. Yeah, these tools, these kits, these items. I I don't need class levels for tier one if I've got access to this shit, right? It really will make a difference in a big way. Yeah. So I'm glad we finally covered that because we've mentioned kind of been passing like seven or eight times. We've
0: been, we've been, uh, there have been some people like speaking up and being like, hey guys, you ever going to do that episode? Well, Merry Christmas. Yeah, so
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, anyways, guys, that'll be it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head over to www.itsamimic.com and hit our fancy donate button or tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as our as well as well most podcast apps. So please don't forget to check out our new COVID format for the next foreseeable future and remember to love each other and respect each other as much as I love and respect each Everyone else. And Adam, I guess. You didn't follow the script, Dan. Next time you write these fucking things.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com.
1: Okay, so those of you who are following along with the list at home have probably discovered that we skipped over a single item on the adventuring gear list rations mm-hmm. look the conversation on rations ties directly into the conversation on food which leads to room and board then lifestyle expenses overland travel mounts vehicles <laughs> sea-fa- seafaring vessels airships infernal machines lightning rails and probably mandalorian jetpacks does disney own D yet oh they're probably in the process no uh well wait for disney to buy hasbro in 2023 i guess or they'll at least do a product high-end Stranger Things style. So, the point is that we can all expect Season 5 of The Mandalorian to include Wookiees playing Death Stars and Sarlaccs in 5th edition. No, wait. The point is that the topic of rations is going to be saved for another episode. Also, happy holidays from all of us at It's a Mimic. And stay safe out there. I want to play Death Stars and Sarlaccs now. Thank you for
2: listening to an It's a Mimic production.
1: <laughs> okay, you're done. <laughs>